This is Unfilter, episode 177 for February 24th, 2016. So there's a lot more fallout in the heated legal battle between the government and Apple. The tech giant CEO refusing to unlock the iPhone of one of the gunmen in the San Bernardino terror attack, saying that it could have dangerous consequences. The FBI calls it a matter of national security. Families of the victims, of course, coming down on the side of the government on this one. corner you have wearing the white trunks with the gold rose trim is apple in the other corner you have the government wearing the blue trim trunks with the red you know colored trim as well it's time to get it all once again it's another edition of unfiltered Jupiter broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you should not be watching I'm Chase. Over there on his new Linux Book Pro is Mr. Chris. Hey, Chris. Hello, Mr. Chase. Yes, the Librem 15 is still that in is operation. A, that is a sexy beast. I should show you the Apollo before you leave, too. Yeah, I mean, I, that. I'm looking over at it, and the screen looks just, beautiful. It's a nice, yeah, it's nice. nice lines yeah. to it. Check out the Apollo in the kitchen on your way wow, out. Uh, it's a 13-inch version that's even tighter. Even does, it, does it have good uh, graphics? Can it Steam games? Uh, Iris. Steam? Iris until Iris. Oh. Yes, yes. Hey, Mr. Chase, yes. big show today on the Unfiltered program. Yes, huge. Uh, Would we, you say it's super? Oh. Hey, guess what, Chase? Hey, what, One of the Chris? things we're not going to spend a lot of time on this week is the 2016 election. We do have some coverage to get to. We're actually going to start in a fairly typical arc. We like to start with the cyber stuff. Cyber. I like, not, you know, I like the cyber. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I you know, were going to make the joke. I know. I, I know. You know, that's why we start there, because we're 13-year-old boys. <laughs> ASL. Uh, which will... <laughs> That, though, Chase, is then going to lead us into some iPhone stuff. Now, I know some of you are sick and tired of talking about the iPhone, but the reality is something's really... It's a big deal. And something's really bugging me that's not being talked about by any freaking buddy. And i got to talk about it. So, we're okay. gonna, so I got an angle on this we got to discuss. Plus, right. there's some major stuff happening there. And uh, they say it's not about setting precedent. It's so about setting precedent. We'll tell you more about that. We're going to have some terrorism updates. Not a lot. Terror. Not a lot of terror update, but we got some okay. stuff to discuss. All right, all right. Then we will get into some Russia stuff, some yep. Turkey stuff, 2016. Yes. And then last but not least, a devastating plight, a devastating, devastating, you could almost say destructive thing has happened to the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. <gasps> and I'll what? Tell you, I'll tell you about that. At Whoa, the end of the show. well, yeah. talking about bearing the lead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, Hello, bearing, the, you're yeah. bearing the lead. This is CNN Breaking News. Uh, we are learning details now, Chase, and yeah. uh, in style of CNN, I'll tell you more about it. No, no, because we're going to start <laughs> with the relevant stuff to the audience. I'll just turn to Fox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's all about what's relevant, and uh, you know what's relevant is cyber these days. And I like to, when we start to talk about uh, actual real-world technology issues like we're going to talk about today right. that have really long-term ramifications... Uh, it is good to take the perspective of the average person from time to time. What are they worried about? What are they thinking about? Chase, you know, I know in a, in a, the role that you have, you are often interacting with average users, right? All the time. All the time. 
What is a major concern, like with their computers and stuff, they frequently have that we say is not work specific? Is malware still a oh, problem? Uh, is ads? malware uh, malware passwords? Yeah, you know, do you have to do much big? mobile troubleshooting? Uh, a little bit, like you know, like for example, I had a had a gentleman today where he wasn't getting his email on his iPhone, and you know, he's a little concerned about that. Yeah, you know, uh, things like that. So this is an area that the average people are starting to think a lot more about. So it's good to see uh, what kind of things they need to wear, worry about. Those popular apps on your smartphone can be convenient and fun, but some also carry malicious software known as malware. Malware? Nora? Nora? Now, uh, uh, Nora, this thing, is Jason. the producer. Uh, Nora? Nora? Listen, Nora. It's malware. Uh, and, and the next thing, uh, Nora, you need to realize, not much of an issue on the uh, Oh, they're going to make a case. They're going to make a case. I also like that it's Windows, like an old version of Windows Mobile over her shoulder that they're using uh, as a demo. So I I can't give her a hard time for saying malware. I just, what I want to do here is take a moment and say. Success over her other shoulder. You see, everybody? Do you see? This is what I have to see. I have to read these words on the shows all the time. If people give me a hard time for mispronunciation, you take a multi-million dollar, uh, (laughs) I know, I'm getting all worked up, (laughs) national news anchor, okay, who who gets paid a lot of money, has people write everything for her, write everything for her, and has a production staff, and she still mispronounces stuff. I'm just saying, you give me a hard time. You take her out of her element and make her read a word that's out of her element, she has a hard time. Now, to be fair, two things to be fair. Two saying, things to be oh, fair. Oh, what's that? Over her, uh, to our, uh, you know, success. her left. Yeah, okay. That's a success okay. over there. Yeah. And then that is not Windows Mobile. That is a little bit newer Windows oh, that's Phone. What it's I meant. like 655. I, that's what I meant. I know. I yeah. just, just okay. want to be clear. Anyways, this report's going to try to scare you. Also carry malicious software known as malware, mm. which gives hackers easy access to your <gasps> personal information. What? A security firm found between 75 and 80% of the top free apps on Android phones or iPhones were breached. Whoa. What? 75 to 80 percent now i don't believe that on the iphone side i don't believe that on the iphone side. i don't even Maybe, really believe it on the android side uh, man, a little bit you could sell you could sell me on two percent on the google play store i think wow. but what i'm telling you chase is darth mauler do you suppose there's a coincidence with this iPhone? no <laughs> no 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 the story no. of the iphones in the news. no coincidence at all no okay no, don't believe so it watch this watch this report what's about to happen here is they are going to cite to 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 give you their definition of hacked, they're going to cite the permissions that these apps request as examples of malicious activity. Oh and then, no! In every single case, they're going to cite Android apps, and then they're going to then they're going to cite the hey, iPhone. Hey, to be fair for a minute, like with the new you know with a 5.0 on Android, I'm just saying. You, no, to be fair, when you install an app, it actually it's very clear what it's accessing. They don't I like they that. don't talk about that at all. They ah. show the old UI, then they show compromised. I hate and, these stories. I hate these. You hate these stories. Then they're going to show compromised Android apps Bad and then talk stories. about the iPhone. Watch. It's, it's a real interesting mix. The number jumps as high as 97%. Oh, stop for a minute. Top. Stop. Look on the right there. See the graphic that they're using to try to imitate an iPhone? Yeah. Also. That's not really an iPhone screen because hey, that's the, is that a jailbroken phone? Chase, what is, is the date it? today? Uh, well, it's the 24th of 2016. Yeah. yeah. They So this stat says 87 to 97% of the top paid Android and iPhone apps are hacked. The source from 2014. Our Axon. They're citing a source. Wow. From 2014. CBS is better than this. Paid apps. The Tiffany on those devices. Anna Warner is here with the hacker's methods. That is a jailbreak theme. Good call. Good morning. Well, whether it's apps that help advertisers target you or help hackers rip you off. So I think they're using anything that has advertising as hacked. Any app that has advertising, they're considering hacked. 
You'll want to do your homework before downloading apps. Any way that I had money that they could take, they got hold of it. California's Susan Harvey says she was a victim after she used a debit card to download a slot machine game app to her cell phone. Whoa, a look at that phone. Account. I know, it's busted bad. It's an old Android phone. It's an old uh, Galaxy S. You love that font? It was something that you purchased once for like $15. When she went to Wait, reload what? the game, what she found hundreds 15? of purchases had been made. By her math, more than $5,000 worth of transactions. Ouch. My heart sank. I just, I sat there looking at it and I rolling, rolling through and I physically... Um, I, I, I have major problems. I mean, I have a lot. Okay. First off, Chris, now maybe you're not the atypical person, but how often do you look at your finances? Um, a few times a month. Just like my, I'll go over my account and stuff like that. Right. Not nothing major. Like I'll just do a thumb through or something. Right. I mean, but something that's what daily, and and I mean, wouldn't pick up on that right away. Check my like when I check my balance, yeah. I'd probably notice that within a day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's I know, I know. Yeah, it's really weird. I was sick because I didn't know what they were. Some of the information these apps ask for are way beyond what they should be asking for. So now this is where they're going to build the case for anything that's asking for a certain amount of information or that has advertising is a hacked app. This is where they're getting the 97% stat from. That story's no surprise to cybersecurity expert Gary Milievsky, whose company tracks malware. He says certain apps are designed to steal your personal information. I think you mean malware. What are the consequences for me as a consumer? Awful You're green screen. I know. This is a really bad green screen. Thank you. I, did, I wasn't going to say it. This just, is so bad. I mean, it's, 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 so... Way, it's worse than the green screen we do. It's way... I do better. <laughs> yeah, same. And I don't even have a reflect media screen. Personal information. What are the consequences for me as a consumer? You're going to lose your identity. You're going to wonder why there was a transaction. You're going to wonder how someone got into your bank account and paid a bill that doesn't exist. Because Milievsky says when you download an app, you're also giving the app permission to access other parts of your phone, like an alarm clock app that can track phone calls. Why would you think an alarm clock needs all those permissions? Why would you need an alarm clock app? Not only that, but they're citing apps that have already been pulled from the Play Store. Access to the Internet over Wi-Fi. That's the old UI. Your call information, calls you've made, call history, your device ID. This, to me, is not a safe alarm clock. And there's the weather and flashlight apps he says exploit legitimate banking apps to capture information, as he showed us in a demonstration of what could happen when someone takes a photo of a check to send to their bank. And what happens to the check now? Well, the flashlight app spies on the camera and notices the check and grabs a copy of it. By the way, he is playing for them a slideshow. He's, they're not, she's not actually witnessing this happen. They are playing a slideshow for her on the computer. And if you watch Chase, when they shoot, when they, when they pull Stop. back. Yeah, and no, no. Look at the date on the check. 2014. Right. This is all B-roll. This is all old. Old. Yeah, it is. It is. There's also, there's dates on this uh, documents that are from 2014. Yeah. And now watch when they pull back. There's an arrow on the screen that gets keyed out. It's kind of funny because they're actually playing a slideshow for to her. to their bank. And what happens to... You see right there how the arrow's been keyed out and you can see the background on the monitor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. To the check now. Well, the flashlight app spies on the camera and notices the check and grabs a copy of it. Shipped it off to a server somewhere far away. Last year, the group FireEye discovered 11 malware apps being used on iPhones that gathered users' sensitive wait, information. Wait, wait, wait. Chris, how many apps are there in the App Store? Probably, oh, it's over a million Millions, plus, yeah, right? yeah. How many did she just say? Uh, 11. 
So what's and the, here's what's interesting. I'm no math whiz, but that's like point oh 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 one. Here's what's okay. interesting is I remember that fire eye report we covered on TechSnap. But before yeah, we go into that, would. Uh, yeah. you notice how everything he was demonstrating, all the apps he cited, everything, all the UI was Android. Android. And then they talk about eleven malware apps on i on iPhone. Twist. Even, even though they've been showing Android. Now the the malware, by the way, is in, even including stuff that if you load through like MDM where you manage the phone, it doesn't even it doesn't even necessarily mean apps. Although some of it might. Copy of it. Shipped it off to a server somewhere far Shipped away. Shipped it off. Last year, the group FireEye discovered 11 malware apps being used on iPhones that gathered users' sensitive information and sent it to a remote server. Yep. The information included text messages, Uh-oh. Skype calls, Ooh. contacts, and photos. Apple fought back by removing the apps and putting stricter security measures in place. They get at your GPS, your contacts list to build a profile on you. Some apps are collecting information simply for advertising purposes. In 2014, the Federal Trade Commission settled a lawsuit with a company over its popular Brightest Flashlight app, alleging it transmitted consumers' personal information to third parties without telling them. But Milievsky says he's found another flashlight app that can do much more troubling things. Very old version of Android it's on there. Look how old that is. Wow. This and look at the phone. Turns on your microphone in the background, listens in on you, and sends an encrypted tunnel to a server we discovered in Beijing. Ooh, encryption, Chase? And again, <gasps> demonstrating uh, on, an, on an Android device. We need device. to know. We need to know. Old, old Android device. Yes, probably a side-loaded app. Not, of course, they don't say. You're saying that they're actually listening to people's conversations and sending that audio back to Beijing. Yeah, we've tracked well, it. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, Chris. Are they, they're obviously trying to tie in, uh, China in this one, right? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're getting China encryption all in one? Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. nice. It's, it's great. Maybe where it does it. And where is this on this map? A few blocks from Tiananmen Square on Information Drive in Beijing. He gave a report. Is it really Information Drive? Yeah. That app wow. to the FBI. Because to me, it's spyware at at the nth degree. His recommendation? We really have to look at our phone and say, this is really a personal computer that fits in our pocket. Let's shut down all the apps we don't use. Let's delete apps that don't make sense and reduce the risk of being spied on. Well, the creator of the brightest flashlight app settled with the FTC, agreeing to change its policy and delete all the information it had gathered. That's Susan Harvey sued Google over her alleged hack, but a judge recently dismissed it, saying she and her attorney filed too late. Google says fewer than 1% of Android devices got bad apps in 2014. Gail. Again, 2014. All right. Way to shake us all up, Anna Warner, this morning. Note to self, read the fine print even on the apps. But don't you have an increasing that. suspicion that a lot of people yes. know a lot more about it than we know? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. And that's right, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, that's that's right. Okay, so uh, you need to be really afraid of these apps. you got to be super afraid of encryption. Chris, I'm uh, formatting my phone right now. Who you don't need to be afraid of is your government installing malware on you. Never need to worry about that because if you elect them, they represent you. They would never do something Germany's like that. Germany's government has approved the use of a so-called Trojan horse software. Wait, what, what? Bug to monitor the computers and smartphones of police suspects. Oh. The software can enter computers disguised as a free screensaver or even a game. Once the user opens that file, malicious code infects the target device, allowing access to private information. It can also record telephone or Skype calls, log keystrokes of a computer or mobile device, and even access a camera. RT's Peter Oliver has more. 
Well, there are those that are completely behind it, and there are more voices, though, that are vehemently against it. Let's start with the, uh, what the government is saying. The government is saying that they um, aren't going to no. be looking at sensitive files. They've no. desperately tried to reassure people. Mm. But ultimately, what their line comes down to is the old adage of, if you've got nothing to hide, ah. you have nothing to fear. Ah! <laughs> yeah. So that's a good one. I wonder how, you know, that, but, you know, it really, the you... You've got nothing to hide. That's how... That's how Happening. Let's not kid ourselves. That's happening in the U.S. too. The NSA, the NSA has uh, divisions uh, that are dedicated to that. All right. So we've been talking about mobile. We're talking about malware. You ready to talk about iPhone? I love iPhones. I had one for a week. Yeah, you've got you've actually bounced back and forth a couple yeah, of I times, have. and yeah. they, both times you went back to monster uh, Nexuses. Or, uh, or phones. I, I got to say, man, the Nexus 6S, best, best success Or 6P, whatever. 6P. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. So <laughs> let's start our Apple iPhone versus FBI, DOJ, whatever you want to call it, coverage. Chad, this is where you're going to get your title from, I think. Let's start here at the top. The legal face-off between the CEO of Apple and the director of the FBI is being judged in the court of a public, public opinion Bathroom. over a real judge's order demanding Apple help the FBI unlock an iPhone used by one of the Sandberg Bernardino attackers. As NBC's Pete Williams tells us, a new poll out tonight shows the public is on the FBI side. The two generals are now engaging each other directly in the impassioned battle over security versus privacy raging in cyberspace. In a new blog posting, the FBI's James Comey says agents could not look San Bernardino shooting survivors in the eye or themselves in the mirror if they didn't try everything possible. Now we're going to talk more about this, but there is just... Chris, I think, you can't blame them. They got to try everything possible. I think one of the most brilliant strokes that the that the FBI has taken here is to use this as the as the case. Right. To choose this a case of terrorism, a case that is uh, extremely emotionally charged, was just the perfect moment for them to seize. For themselves in the mirror, if they didn't try everything possible to find out what was on an iPhone left behind by one of the attackers, Syed Farouk. Now, I want to remind you, this is Comey writing this in an op-ed. We don't want to break anyone's encryption or set a master key loose on the land, he says. A new poll out tonight shows 51% say Apple should help the FBI unlock that phone. 38% side with Apple. Turns out it really depends on how you ask that question. Of course it does. Another poll was conducted and it, and it completely flipped and reversed. It just depending on how you ask the questions. just came out today. A former Homeland Security official says now that Apple admits it could open the phone, the company's image as defender of privacy no longer depends on who wins this battle. I don't think that the Chinese government or the Russian government is waiting around to see whether the FBI wins this case to decide what they're going to make Apple do. But in an email today to employees, Apple CEO Tim Cook says if the company is forced to create new software to help the FBI this time, it would be the equivalent of a master key that could open millions of phones. The only way to guarantee that such a powerful tool isn't abused, he says, and doesn't fall into the wrong hands is never to create it. Washington lawyer Ted Olson, representing the company, says the government has never demanded this much of Apple. It's being asked not just to open a door, but to create a door, create a lock, and then create a new key for the lock. And once it does that, your iPhone is not safe anywhere. The next move comes later this week when Apple formally files in court. Then it's up to the judge. Pete Williams, NBC News. Hey, NBC News. 
So one of the things that I find uh, kind of interesting about this is the news isn't really talking about the fact that they're they're using the All Writs Act to do this. Are you familiar with oh, this yeah, aspect of it? Oh, it's very, very old act, what, yeah. 1800s. Yeah, and the thing is, is there are 11 other cases pending by the yep. FBI or the Department of Justice. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, using All Writs. Now, that's just cases using all writs. There are uh, a bunch of other local cases that, are, that uh, Apple has been denying for a while now. Okay, so I want to move on um, because what really the, what a lot of the argument is is, well, the precedent this would set if Apple did this. And, and there's, to be clear, a couple of things we should probably make right up front obvious. We're not really actually talking about backdooring encryption on the iPhone. No. What we're talking about is disabling the 10 entries and then it wipes the phone and the millisecond delay for those entry attempts. So that way the FBI can brute force. Broom. Now, here's the fundamental question that I ask you, sir. And I don't know for sure. How do you replace the operating system on a locked iPhone? Uh, you, put you, can't, in, you can't install an update or install a new version, if I'm correct, well, unless you, can, you unlock you, the phone. Well, no. You could put the phone in the DFU mode. And then you can override the installation, but then wouldn't you be overriding the data, too? You would. I'm pretty sure you would. Yeah. So the only way to upgrade or replace the OS and retain the data is to unlock it. Right. And, unless they have some, some sort of alternative way that we've never heard of. This is where they are actually being forced to create the back door. What we have all gotten caught up on is, well, they just need to get past the uh, uh, pin key entry. That's not actually the to, to technically implement that. You bypass, have to get to yeah. You have to reflash the device in order right. to reflash the device when it's locked. You have to backdoor that passcode. Right. So they are actually asking Apple to create. A backdoor. And when you ask someone to create software, you are asking them to create speech. The law has already determined this. There's precedence for this. Creating software is creating speech. Software is speech. Code is speech. Right, And yeah. so uh, what the FBI is asking is Apple to create speech in a case they're not even involved in. I've always thought about that. It's like they're, 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 they're being asked to create software. And so, so they say, the chairman's saying no, but I don't know what he's saying no. Azer's saying no. He's just saying no, 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 no. Well, could he be maybe more specific? Because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can. Is there a way to reinstall or upgrade in this case? Because that's essentially what it'd be. You can, be but, but you can, but it would still ask you for the passcode, I guess. Right, because if you put it in DFU mode and, well, and reinstall no, no. it, Well, no, no. So it. if you, if, see, the thing is, if you plug, like, say, your iPhone into iTunes and you uh -huh. try to update the software, mm -hmm. it will ask you, please enter your, your pin code on the, on the device. device. Yeah. Yeah, so... So I don't know a, a way around that unless they had a special version of iTunes, so I guess. So that's why I think this is perhaps a backdoor. And if, what, what, regardless, uh, if there are 11 cases using the All Writs Act waiting in the wings, it could be a dangerous precedent. Apple's calling for the feds to drop their demand that the company help the FBI unlock an iPhone used by a woman, used by one of the San Bernardino shooters. In an email to employees this morning, the Apple CEO, Tim Cook, wrote, at stake is the data security of hundreds of millions of law-abiding people and setting a dangerous precedent that threatens everyone's civil liberties. FBI Director James Comey wrote in an online post yesterday, quote, we can't look the survivors in the eye or ourselves in the mirror if we don't follow this lead. We don't want to break anyone's encryption or set a master key loose on the land. Kennedy's here. She's host of Kennedy, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, weekday wait, nights on wait, Fox Business yep, Network. Wait. What do you think? I think Tim Cook is absolutely right. I think that he has the technological and encryption expertise here, and he speaks for a lot of companies in Silicon Valley that don't necessarily want to bend to the whim of the federal government. If that's true, that he might have some silent backers. Regardless of the emotional case that they're making. 
So uh, now that's an interesting point. Yeah, it's is the same MTV chick. He may have he may have the backing there. And of course, you heard about uh, Bill Gates' standpoint on this. Yes, I have. Good news. Bill Gates this morning is backing the government, and it's. Did you catch that? Whoa. What, Charlie? Yeah, I have been watching him. He is pissed at Apple. He is. He thinks this is a bad, bad deal that Apple's doing. And so he opens up this clip with good news. Good news. Oh, Charlie. God, that uh, makes me cringe. Good news. Yeah, he does not like Apple doing this at all. Terrorism, Chase. Good news. Bill Gates this morning is backing the government in its fight with Apple. The Microsoft founder tells the Financial Times the San Bernardino case is a limited and unique request for information. The stance is a break from his technology industry peers. Last night, I asked Gates to expand on the security versus privacy fight on my PBS program. PBS program. Good news. My PBS program. Good news, everybody. All right, here we go. On my PBS program. Are you in favor of a private company in this circumstance, Apple, in the secret of their own lab, and they're being able to destroy whatever they create after they do this for the government one time only? Should they do that? Well, in every case up till now, when the government's come in and said, what's the banking information? You know, banks like to keep their customers' information private, but no bank has ever... Uh, defied the government. I think Apple, at the end, they're just forcing a, a complete judicial process. I don't think any from Apple is saying that when the court, you know, say it goes uh, to the Supreme Court, I don't think they'll, they're saying they'll defy the government. When it goes they're, to the Supreme just Court. They're saying that right now. Now, Charlie is really trying to push him on this. Listen to Charlie talking. Listen to the way he's talking to Bill Gates. Charlie does not usually get this fired up. Good news, Charlie. The government. No, they're not. They're just they're, forcing. They're, they're saying that right now they're not going to do it, so it'll be appealed to an appeals to district court, appeals court, and the Supreme Court. I'm just asking you, what would you do? If you were the executive, would you do the same thing that Tim Cook has done? I want the quote, Bill. I think they're saying, <laughs> hey, as a society, we we think this discussion of safeguards is important. I don't disagree with that. I think uh, at the uh, end of the day. Uh, disagrees with that. Everybody at the agrees. end of the day, we want a government that has visibility, and we trust it to use that visibility on our behalf. Max Levchin, who you and I both know and, and admire, said that Apple should, Apple, this is what I'm trying to get you to say, I mean, I, one side Trying of to that. get you Apple to say. Apple should. <laughs> did, you, did you hear him try to, did you hear him watch him yeah. back it up? I mean, I, one side of the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one side or the other. That Apple should. Apple. This is what I'm trying to get you to say. I mean, I, one side of the other. Apple should. <laughs> I, one the side of the other. Yeah. The exact data. But they should not offer them a master key. Yeah, that would solve this this particular case. So uh, Apple has offered the exact data, and this is a point I want to make abundantly clear: is uh, this is a huge flaw of the iPhone in terms of your privacy, and yeah. it's something that they can already take advantage of. And you know what I'm about to say: it's the iCloud backup. Yep. So they had the iCloud backups of this phone except for the last six weeks, and then they didn't have iCloud backups. But in in theory, in the normal circumstance, the way an iPhone works with iCloud backup, an iCloud backup, I've looked into this, is only uh, is it, it like it doesn't get some temporary state stuff, which would be things like your Telegram messages or your WhatsApp messages. Right. An iCloud backup does not contain those things. Ah. Okay. Neither does. A full dump over the lightning port or the 30 pin using any kind of recovery or iTunes backup method. The iCloud backup 
is the exact same you would get if the FBI were to hook up to the phone and do a full image dump because it uses the same exact mechanism. Right. And on top of that, the iCloud backup has iterative changes. So the FBI actually has the capability of going back and looking to see if they try to delete things to cover their tracks. They can go back through iterations of the iPhone when they subpoena the iCloud data. Wow. So the iCloud data is everything, right. basically. Yeah. They don't need to get into this phone except, as you know... Somebody changed the passwords right. when they put it on yep. a known Wi-Fi network. Yep. It didn't do an iCloud backup. So that that's that's a little unfortunate that that's, that just happened accidentally. Uh, your good friend, your buddy, my buddy, Michael Hayden. Uh, what's the next up president with Mike? will inherit the challenge of protecting America from terror. Terror. So Michael Hayden stops by to good chat. Good news. And Michael uh, Hayden's here. He had a few thoughts on the whole Apple versus FBI thing. Former director, you know, of the NSA, worked at the CIA. While safeguarding privacy rights, that tension is on display in the FBI's standoff with Apple over the San Bernardino terrorist iPhone. You're okay, Charlie. powerful intelligence insider is weighing in. Retired General Major Michael Hayden says Apple is right in principle, but the government has a point. Hayden created and oversaw controversial programs designed to keep Americans safe. He was director of the National Security Agency and director of the CIA. He is now telling his side of the story in a new book. It is called Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror. General Hayden, good morning. Good morning. So let's look at the FBI story, make sure we understand exactly what you think. Uh, Here here you have on the one hand, uh, the FBI says we ought to be able to look at this. And we need you to help us do it. And we're only asking you to do it one time. Uh, Apple says there's no such thing as one time. It'll mean that we're opening up privacy. We'll be violating the privacy of all those people who buy iPhones. What does Michael Hayden say? Charlie, this is a morality play for the theme of the book, which I try to describe as... as God, you know, plug the are, book already. I know. Jeez, He's just a, such a show. There are always tough choices, and this is not about the forces of light and the forces of darkness. This is about balancing two virtues, two things we want deeply, security, privacy, uh, liberty, and safety. And so now it's acting out in, in this particular sphere. I think, I think Apple was right. In- Oh, in terms of Charlie's opposing. Wait, did you, you see the look on Charlie's face? No, let's see it. Let's he, see it. He, he, it's hard to see because it's a it's a wide shot. Yeah, yeah. But he had this like his eyes kind of opened up. He's like, what? Let's see, let's see. Let's see. It's so ridiculous. I think I think Apple was right in terms of. Yeah. yeah see, see, he turned his head. And he's like, yeah. <gasps> yeah. You say what, girl? Universal back doors to make it easier for our or any government to get into encrypted communications. But, but stop I'm there. Is that what the government is? No, back in there, no. Charlie. <clears throat> but I am not convinced. That what the FBI is asking Apple to do in San Bernardino is that. And I think the burden of proof is on Apple to show that there's an inevitable slippery slope from this very targeted, focused request from the Bureau, a slippery slope from that to this thing over here. And Charlie, look, as you said, I ran NSA. Back doors are back doors. If they're in there, good security services around the world are going to exploit that and take advantage of that. You well, mean gov- government who mean us no? Yeah, government who, who uh, actually wish us no no good. So uh, that's one point. Is if you create the code, it's possibly somebody could get it. Okay, I yeah, think, of course. I think the yeah. point is is more obvious. Is if you do it in one case, then I, I, I what I love because it's it it's such a brilliant example of one of the most important law. Uh, Law enforcement officials in our nation just blatantly lying through his teeth as he speaks. Uh, so when James Comey is up there on the podium saying, this is not about setting precedent, this is about a limited, narrow access to a device, it, 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 it laughs 
in the spirit of law because law is based on effing precedent. Once you set precedent, it doesn't matter if that's your intention to set precedent or not. Once a case is decided, precedent is set. That's how the law works. It doesn't matter what right, your yeah, intention right, is. Yeah. That's the law. So yeah. if you set this, if you if, if this happens, if this goes through, it doesn't matter how narrow it is. That Now the precedent has been set that Apple must create code to bypass restrictions they have intentionally engineered into their products. And there's no reason at all, no reason that any other country wouldn't expect Apple to do the same exact thing. In fact, this you might think, oh, somebody must think of this. Well, NPR, your good friends over at NPR, yes. let's visit a room few people ever enter. So NPR goes to the CIA. The FBI in this case. And uh, she got a chance, this gal got a chance to sit down with John Brennan. Do you know iPhone? And here's what he said. What would people say if a bank had a safe deposit box that individuals could use and access and store things. This is the new argument. What would you say if the terrorists had used a safe deposit box? But the government was not going to be able to have any access to those environments. And so criminals, terrorists, whatever, could use it. So what is it about electronic communications that makes it unique in terms of it not being allowed to be accessed by the government when the law, the courts say that the government should have access to it. So that's the director of the CIA. What is different about an iPhone versus a lockbox? <laughs> well, it, you know, you could put something really important in your iPhone, information-wise. You could also put something really important in your lockbox. Yeah. So this is the essential argument. To I, me, though, it immediately, it immediately sort of, it, like, it ignores all of the components of an iPhone that exist, like yeah. uh, location tracking. Every single cellular tower your phone has connected to is in a SQLite database on that iPhone. If you get access to that iPhone, you know everywhere a suspect has been. That's not in a lockbox. No. The, the, see, it's apples and oranges. Like, that's just one. Every Wi-Fi network you've yeah. connected to in a SQLite database, every website you go to is on that iPhone. That's not on... That's not in a lockbox. That's not a fair comparison. Chris, I put Social Security in my lockbox. There you go, Chase. Continues on. I th- so, the, so then she, she begins to bring the conversation over to, well, what about the obvious problem that if this happens, then the Chinese government or the Canadian government or the uh, Indian government is going to want to do the same exact thing? She eventually gets there, and he has uh, an answer for that. So these are things that need to be worked through. Is that a yes, that you think Apple should should be forced to help the FBI in this case? I think that the FBI clearly has a legitimate basis to try to understand what is on a phone that is a part of a very active investigation consistent with what their responsibilities and authorities are. One argument that's been made against that view is that if Apple is forced to open a phone for American law enforcement, what's to prevent China, Iran, other countries from asking for the same thing? Apple is a U.S. company. Apple is providing a service to citizens. It operates but also within to the United States. Half their customer base is outside the U.S. Well, that's right. And uh, depending on where one operates, they're going to have to conform with the laws of those countries or else make decisions about not providing their services or products in those countries. I, we don't care. If we set a precedent and it screws you everywhere else and damages your revenues, not our problem. Jeez. And so I think the United States has a long-established tradition of making sure that privacy rights and civil liberties are protected, while at the same time the security 
liberty of the American people are protected. Mary Louise Kelly, I hear him essentially saying, the CIA director saying, that's the company's problem, that's Apple's problem. I think he's essentially saying that national security trumps business interests. Do you agree? No. I mean, in World War II, would you would you have agreed? I mean, I might well, have. Well, no, because, guess, because in World War II... There's we, a real fight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, and, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, that was... Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I just think about it for a second. Yeah. So there, there, there was a man that it was exterminating millions of Jews. Come on. I think that is... Much uh, different argument. I think that is actually the government's internal thought process. Well, national security trumps profits. Yeah. And, and if they thought otherwise, that's un-American. Right. It's a great defense. Uh, and then there's the emotional component. And, and, and this week, they brought the families in. The families of two people killed in the San Bernardino terrorist attack planned to file court papers urging Apple to help investigators. Apple is fighting a court order to unlock the iPhone of one of the killers. Jeff Begays has found that there are many families anxious for a decision. Oh. Last April in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 29-year-old Brittany Mills, who was eight months pregnant, was shot when she answered her door. Now, we actually have talked about this particular case in the supporter show, I believe, in the past, uh, because James Comey was talking about it uh, at a speech. And so it's interesting. Now they're going to a pregnant mother who was shot in her doorway. And when she was shot, Chase, in her hand, she was holding a phone. And that phone landed on the ground. And when that phone landed on the ground... It locked or something to this. Right. And so James Comey believes it's possible that maybe she took a picture of the killer right before he shot her. That's his theory. And that's why he needs her. I'm not kidding. That's wow. This is what he said in his speech. I don't know what they're about to say now, but that's what he said in his speech. She and her unborn child were killed. Police suspect she knew her killer and her locked iPhone could contain vital clues. Police Lieutenant Johnny Dunham. The fact that her phone was encrypted and we are unable to obtain her password has thrown up a a stumbling block. Since the California magistrate's ruling that Apple had to help the FBI break into the iPhone used by San Bernardino shooter Syed Farouk, there has been new focus on cases around the country involving locked smartphones. This is a very, very slippery slope. Ted Olson, Apple's attorney, used to represent the U.S. government before the Supreme Court. You think that part of the slippery slope here is that ultimately the government could develop a back door with Apple's help to listen in to eavesdrop on phone calls that are happening now. Yes. they. Would Olson knows about terrorism. His wife, Barbara, was a passenger on the plane that crashed into the Pentagon on 9-11. Nice. He believes terror cases can lead to government overreach. Terrorists want to take away our civil liberties. What an amazing connection that is. Yeah. I mean, I guess I hadn't really stopped to think about that for a second. That is, you're telling me this guy's wife, how did I not catch that before? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't believe this. And he's going to bat. This is what I get for doing this when I'm really crazy busy when Rika is out of town. <laughs> so this guy's, this guy's wife is on the plane that crashed into the Pentagon. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I find that to be particularly interesting. About yep. terrorism. His wife, Barbara, was a passenger on the plane that crashed into the Pentagon on 9-11. He believes terror cases can lead to government overreach. You can't out 9-11 this guy now. So, like, if 9-11 comes up, you can't out 9-11 in a debate in a debate because he's got, like, the <laughs> ultimate 9-11 trump card. <laughs> Terrorists want to take away our civil liberties. They want to break down our system. They want us to overreact. They want us to say, well, privacy goes out the window. 
But the district attorney in Baton Rouge, Hiller Moore, says Brittany Mills' case is about catching a killer. The question is, if this is the debate chase, are you a civil are you are you a civilized man? Or are you some sort of privacy maniac, some sort of deprived privacy maniac? Are you in a, to live in a civilized society, a free society, uh, and you want justice, uh, you have to give up some of your liberties. Uh, and this is one that I think is reasonable for you to give up. So that's obviously one of the arguments. So it's privacy versus security. Chase, let's, uh, let's crack that open for a second. Yeah, yeah. Have a nice drink of that. How, and this is, I think, going to be Tim Cook's fundamental argument that we're about to get to. But how do you have privacy and without security? You can't you can't have security without having privacy right. because if my data isn't private, then you can steal my you steal my identity, yep. claim to be me, uh, use my credentials perhaps to take over uh, an airplane and crash it into a tower. I'd right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to have privacy so that way you You're can't enable right. the attackers. So this this does, it's a false it's a false argument. Uh, and I think it's I, I find it interesting, and I didn't see it happening here, but I guess it happened uh, down in Oregon. Some people went to an Apple store and started protesting, but in protesting protesters rallying at Apple, not against Apple, but stores all around the world today to support the tech giant's refusal to help the FBI unlock the iPhone used by one of the San Bernardino shooters. ABC's Pierre Thomas has the latest. Nah, that's enough. That's all you really need to know. Uh, but I thought I found that to be kind of an interesting a- aspect of this. So the whole debate, privacy versus security. So there's a lot more fallout in the heated legal battle between the government and Apple. The tech giant CEO refusing to unlock the iPhone of one of the gunmen in the San Bernardino terror attack, saying that it could have dangerous consequences. The FBI calls it a matter of national security. Families of the victims, of course, coming down on the side of the government on this one. Not only was this a horrific event in San Bernardino, uh, you know, it, it affected me personally and it affected a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, families in San Bernardino, the families of the other victims as well. Can we take a moment here? Uh, and because uh, if something like this ever happened to me, uh, I'd, I'd want to know it's on the phone too. Well, Especially sure. if, there wasn't a, if there wasn't a current backup in the cloud, I'd want to know it was on the most recent phone. Right, yeah. Uh, I don't know what the FBI thinks they're going to accomplish. Because you know the case is kind of solved, but um, as I don't know what the families are expecting from that because the case is kind of is, is kind of kind of an open and closed case right. for the families. Well, well, the thing is, you know, the families obviously are hoping for something, and you yeah. know, you but don't what? blame. I you don't. don't know. I know, but you don't blame them for no. that because no. you'd want to know. But at the same time, I would, I would want to know too. But what what they're not looking at is obviously the big picture because. Well, it, I put it this way, Chase. Yeah. Simply put. Because the big picture to them doesn't matter because it matters about their family. And this is why the legal system, if you have a conflict of interest, you don't participate in the prosecution you of a can't. case. You can't. You're so biased. You're it, so or co- you can't be a juror, yeah, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Because of that, it is built into the system because our emotions get the best of us. That's why it's built into the system that way. So it's not to discount their pain. But the very yeah. fact that they're having pain doesn't justify doing something like right. this. Right. Yes. That if, if if that's why the legal system is is configured the way it is. Families in San Bernardino, you know, the families of the other victims as well. The bigger picture is that there might be some information in that phone that that could lead to any other terrorist plots that these people might have been involved in. Yeah. 
So Judge Andrew Napolitano, Fox News Senior Judicial Analyst, joins us now. Uh, Judge, good morning. Good to have you here. Uh, I want to start by just reading a quote from Jim Comey's letter. The yes. head of the FBI uh, wrote a very pointed letter, and here is a little piece of what that said. Fourteen people were slaughtered and many more had their lives and bodies ruined. We owe them a thorough and professional investigation under law. That is what this is. What say you? Well, I, I understand the emotion, and what he says is correct. Fourteen people were slaughtered uh, by a monster, and I also understand the, the wish of the victims here that the FBI leave no stone unturned in order to find out who else may have been involved and what, what other plots may have been uh, afoot at the time that these, uh, these people pulled this one off. But that doesn't change the basic constitutional principles, which are the government cannot conscript somebody who's not in a litigation to do its work for them. Ah, uh, this is the crucial port and I, point. And I think this, I don't know if Apple's really going to argue the slippery slope so much as they're going to argue this particular point. These, uh, these people pulled this one off, but that doesn't change the basic constitutional principles, which are the government cannot conscript somebody who's not in a litigation to do its work for them. I think that's kind of an important part because Apple's not involved in it. They sold them the piece of hardware. And in fact, Apple's being primarily a hardware seller doesn't really like that's sort of the end of the transaction. They're not in the telco business. They're not in they're, they're, there's not a monthly transaction. That's it. Yeah. If if Apple had hardcore evidence evidence of innocence or evidence of guilt and the and the government subpoenaed it Apple would have no choice but to turn it over but what the the government wants Apple to do is to create something that doesn't exist ah another key point because they don't have the tool already they are asking Apple to create something that doesn't exist this is another key point what the the government wants Apple to do is to create something that doesn't exist and it simply doesn't have the authority under the Constitution to do that but I would suggest to our friends in the Justice Department that the information they want is already in the possession of the government because the NSA has been oh, capturing yeah, all guys. metadata from all cell phones in the United States at least since 2009. And that's what they want, metadata. They want to know calls made. Calls and it's a national terrorism case, so yep. it's a clear clear use of that data, and they might have been communicating with outside terrorists. Calls received, who made so them, and where these cell phones were. Uh, you know, apparently they had the erase button moved to one side on that phone, which was very crafty of them, because if someone tries to get into the phone several times, then that phone is going to destruct. The, the information on it will be gone yeah. forever. And, and uh, but here, but here's, my, here's what I want to ask you, because you're the great legal mind, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just a reporter here. But here's, uh -huh. here's, what, here's what strikes here me. Here it comes. <laughs> this is the equivalent of a search warrant, okay? If you go by a house and you see that a crime could possibly be committed in that house and you have enough enough information to make it valid to enter that home and find out what's going on, that is what a search warrant is, okay? The phone is now an extension, I would argue, of your of your home. So much of our lives are in this phone. So I would actually I would actually wonder if you could argue it's an extension of your mind. Ooh. Because it has your notes, so your thoughts, it has your photos, your imagery, it has your communications. All right. This goes so what it goes to what if you have a locked diary in your house? Yeah, and I guess your P a PC isn't an extension of your mind, right? So, and, then, yeah. and, and then they can use search of your PC. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. so why would you not be able to say we have a search warrant? 
You, you need, you, it's incumbent upon you, Apple, American Corporation, to let us into this home. Well, again, if Apple had in its possession evidence the government wants, it would have to turn it over. But the government is asking Apple to create something that doesn't exist against its will and at its own expense. And the government That's is without That's what they say, but a lot of people dispute that. that. A lot of people believe that they absolutely do have the ability the, to get into that one phone. Well, the burden is actually on the government to use the least intrusive means to obtain its evidence. All it has to do is but place don't you a... think they've exhausted all those avenues if they're really continuing to bang down the door and say, we need to look at this phone. I there could be information I, on there that could save people's lives. I oh. don't think the oh. NSA wants to acknowledge that it has this, and I don't think the FBI wants to get into a turf war with the NSA, but it should, and I think a court will probably ask it to do so. Because when you're <clears> asking for information against a person, against that person's will, you have to demonstrate that you have sought it from all other reasonable sources and have come up oh. with a dead end. Oh. And I don't think they've knocked on the NSA's door yet. If they have, they haven't told us. All right. I hope we continue this conversation. Oh, this, is gonna I find go, this, is gonna, this is going to end up I, at a. You know, you know it seems to where? me that a search warrant is a search warrant. And this is going to end up in a court that unfortunately only has eight members because the ninth just died. Oh, that's the Supreme. Probably will end up there. Yes. Uh, more yeah. of that coming up in the overtime Woof. folder. All right, we're going to wrap it up with one more clip, then we're all done on this topic. But I think. Hopefully, we've had some interesting discussion that you haven't heard yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one more. Uh, this is uh, today. In fact, you gave me the heads up about this one. Yeah. Uh, Tim Cook made a statement on ABC News. To some people at home listening to this argument who understand where you're coming from, who might say this was a terrorist attack on U.S. soil, and that if ever there was a case that Apple would make some sort of exception, that this might be that moment. Do you really want to plant the flag on privacy and safety on Syed Farouk's iPhone? I think safety of the public is incredibly important. Safety of our kids, safety of our families is very important. Uh, the protection of people's data is incredibly important. And so the trade-off here is we know that doing this could expose people to incredible vulnerabilities. This is not something that we would create so one thing I'm not super happy about here is uh, I'm not I'm not super happy that they're going the once you create the back door someone could get it around. I think that's a pretty slippery slope defense, and that's a weak one because what it's essentially arguing is that Apple's own security is insufficient, right? Because yeah. yeah. The, so here's the the way the FBI's request works, uh, and I think we linked to it last week in the show notes. The FBI can either receive this software exploit from Apple and the FBI will install it and manage it and extract the data, or Apple can receive the iPhone from the FBI, do all of the software manipulation in-house, never let the FBI touch it, and then deliver them the results. I believe, I could have this wrong because I've... I can't remember if I read this or if just all of the stuff I've been listening to about this case. But also, I believe Apple does not even have to return the iPhone in question if they wish. Wow. But here, so I think I think when he makes the argument that the back door could leak out, that is weak. What the argument should be is when we do this for Kami, then I'm also going to have to do it for the guy in China. Because guess what? I'm selling lots of phones in China. And you know where else I sell phones? Everywhere in the world. Well, you heard what Kami said. Well, did you still sell phones in China? No, no that was Brennan. But oh, yeah, Brennan. I mean, Sorry, yeah. But so I, I think that's a much – but see, I guess I guess they want to avoid that uh, be patriotic argument. I, I'm not sure. We would create this – this would be bad for America. It would also set a precedent – 
that I believe many people in America would go. be offended by. And so when you think about those which are knowns compared to something that might be there. Remember, and I think this is a good point saying, so that is, uh, we know we will set a precedent because that's the way the law works. Right. What we don't know is if there's actually anything on that iPhone. Right. The, the backups from six weeks ago say nothing. Oh, don't worry. They'll invent something. Also, remember that this was a wife and husband. So there's a very good chance that they did all of their communications offline. That's been their line to begin with. This is why, this, by the way, was the reason why the NSA didn't prevent the attack was because, well, they communicated between each other. So they've already said they likely communicated between each other in person. It's very unlikely there's something brand new. The only thing the FBI would have on that phone, and this is why they want it, is something, anything, even a tweet that they like that links them to ISIS. If they could find something on that phone that linked that couple to ISIS, boom, man, then they really got something. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're hoping for because they got no other links. And you know why they got no other links? There has been no official announcement from the Justice Department or from the White House that those two were actually linked to ISIS. But, Chris, be careful. Be very, very careful here because we've always seen in the past where the government have lied to push their own agenda. And actually, it's already legal to do that through the media anyway, you know, the whole propaganda rule. So what if... They the, need... So, so what... If, but, I mean, the thing is, they wouldn't show us the evidence because they would call it, oh, well, we can't show you because national security reasons, but we have the, the proof right. that we could show it. If or you that actually, we have it. If you actually parse their words, they often say... The press has attributed these people as being inspired by ISIS. That's all, but they won't actually say they were connected to ISIS. Very, very rarely. Right, it's, right. It's, so I think they want that. They want that on this phone. That's what they're hoping for that's on there. And they would show the press that. Exactly. They would or, really have something here. Or they would invent the evidence but to what, show the but, press. But what Tim Cook is saying is, well, look, we or don't even it, know if that's a thing. But what we do know here right. is that the precedent, the precedent that we would yeah. set is yeah, absolutely right. a known thing. And we know a lot of people in the, in, in the U.S. don't agree with it. Right. And so when you think about those which are knowns compared to something that might be there, I believe we are making the right choice. But in your quiet moments... Do you have any concern that you might be able to prevent a terrorist attack by breaking into that phone? David, some things are hard, and some things are right, and some things are both. This is one of those things. I would argue, too, that if you made phones that were more vulnerable, you're going to hurt way more people. Oh, yeah. So there you go. That wraps up our iPhone coverage. I think this has become a particular interesting story. And like some of the other stories we've covered in the past on this show, they do pretty much sit right in our wheelhouse where it's a little technical. It's a little political. You have to follow a lot of news sources to get the full story. Yep. You have to be willing to do some reading. And uh, that's one of the powerhouses of your Unfilter show. Patreon.com slash Unfilter. Help us, won't you? Keep going. Uh, we have some things in the works that we'll be talking about soon. Oh, I'm not going to say too much, Chase. Oh. Oh, not too much, but. <laughs> so I believe right now as we sit here. Hold on, Chase. Let's take a look at this. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, do you remember how the uh, the goals worked out? Because I believe there was a goal, a milestone we reached when we hit twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I don't say much, Chase. Don't say much, but I believe we have crossed that threshold. You and I now need to have a conference. 
I want to declare that threshold must remain because here's one of the things that's gotten us before on Patreon is we get to a threshold, then we start doing something, and then uh, like the month comes or something, and we that that threshold backs off. But now all of a sudden we're committed to doing the thing we said we're going to do, even though we no longer actually meet the number. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know that number. So here's yeah. the thing. That know that thing. I want well, I want to see this hold. I, what I'm thinking is you and I will come together. We'll have a little combo. Right. I got a couple ideas I want to bounce at you. They're big. I've already tested a couple of them. People haven't even noticed yet, but I, I, they're big. I want to talk to you about it. Word. Uh, Check it. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. And you can help us go patreon.com slash unfilter. 2016 is an important year for this show. This is a people's record of what the heck's been going on. And as a special thank you to me, if you would, I would like your support this week because this show is a hell of a lot of work on the front end, on the middle. That's this part. Because the whole show is produced live. Everything we're doing, guess what? It's live right here. You mean you're throwing it? You throw in the sound record, you know, like, you know, if I, like, for example, if I had some thoughts of conspiracy bacon. Oh, yeah, you could have some bacon chase. You could, or, you could yeah, throw. I, yeah, I could fry some bacon. Just like right that. Now. Or if there was an uh, eagle that flew by or some or, crickets or, or something like that. Or let's say that, you know, we were asking the chat room a question. <laughs> you could just and, like, yeah, yeah, I got that. You, you, you could just throw you that just, away. You just like me uh, to uh, just play, push my yeah, buttons, I, don't yeah, you? I'm just pushing your buttons. I, my point is, is the show is quite a bit of work because we have a lot of research and reading. Uh, we have a producer, producer Matt, who helps us a whole bunch and yes. your funding helps there. Yes. And the more we raise here, the more we can help with him, too. Help him make some money working so hard at this show. Then there's the actual work of the show, as is pretty obvious. And this week, Chase, this week, no Rikai. Well, there's no, no Rikai last week, too. No, 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 I know. I know. I thought I was only going to have to edit the Unfiltered show one week. I'm going to tell you more about that towards the end of the show. But as a special thank you to me, if you go over to patreon.com slash unfiltered, if you've been getting some value, or either that's entertainment or information or an alternative perspective from the show, and you consider that valuable, we would like that value reflected over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. You can, beca- you can become a patron, and then you get access to the, the uh, source of the show, depending or, on your yeah, level, yeah. or you can become a swag member, depending on your level, or, you know, you just keep us going help the show out get the supporter show stuff Totes. like that yeah. patreon.com slash unfilter thanks to all 442 of you who make this show possible now i got something i wanted to play for you chase yes sir i uh, uh, just a little a uh, little bit uh, from the uh, terrorism pile uh, going over to the russia end of the world you know russia and the u.s have been coming together kumbaya style and working on a ceasefire Right. In Syria. Isn't it interesting? The Syrian civil war that's been going on for five years and it's brutal is finally coming to a ceasefire because Russia and the U.S. are getting together and doing peace talks. A Fox News alert and this just in. U.S. officials say the United States and Russia have agreed on a plan that oh. would create a ceasefire in Syria starting this Saturday. This comes as ISIS claims responsibility for deadly attacks over the weekend, saying two of its fighters set off a car bomb before detonating their explosive belts. John Huddy has the latest from our Mideast Bureau. John? Yeah, and Jenna, as you mentioned, the AP, the Associated Press, is reporting that the U.S. and Russia have said uh, have agreed to a ceasefire in Syria to start on Saturday. It would exclude, though, ISIS and the al-Qaeda-linked Nusra Front, Jabhat al-Nusra, oh. the anti-Assad faction against fighting as part of this Syrian civil war, long-running, nearly five-year, bloody and brutal civil war. Again, the attacks would continue on ISIS and Jabhat al-Nusra. And again, briefly, let's talk about those bombings. As you said, Jenna, ISIS claimed 
responsibility for yesterday's attacks. Uh, two cars packed with explosives, according to officials, were detonated near a bus stop in central Homs. Homs is in the western part of Syria. And then, So there's still going to be some bombing from Turkey. There's still going to be some fighting going on, but it's totally a ceasefire. Right. No, no weapons <laughs> happening, but uh, the other Way to go, stuff. everybody. Way to go, everybody. Did you know that there is this law? Or not a law. I guess it's not a law. That's not the right way to put it. Guideline? Uh, no, it's like an agreement. Uh, it's oh, okay. like it's like a pact that everybody's gone into that right. allows for overflights of the, your of your country to see what's going on. I'm explaining this horrible. I'll play this clip for you. It's, oh, I've heard it. I, I know what you're going to play. A, this is a thing, and I, I thought you guys might find this interesting. Right now, Russia planning to step up surveillance. Moscow is getting ready to ask officials in charge of the Open Skies Treaty for permission to fly planes with high-powered cameras. There you go, the Open Skies Treaty. That's what it was. Oh. While military leaders warn that could compromise U.S. security. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge is live in Washington. What's going Any on? Any props, Catherine? Oh, yeah, you bet. You know her. She's got the she no, got props. Nobody holds up a printout like Catherine does. Anyways, uh, you know, what I find funny about this is, you know, having read history about military operations and special projects they're building, like, you know, early spy planes and right, stuff. yeah. Really cool stuff. Uh they are well aware of the treaties that are in place that allow for this kind of thing. And when they're doing something they're really concerned about, they take that S into consideration. They're not – the people that are that are running these projects are not idiots. They're also uh, – by the way, uh, satellites. Well, thank you, John. A State Department official recently testified that the amount of intelligence the Russians gained through aerial surveillance is, in fact, incremental compared to the intelligence gained through other means. Satellites. That said, the Associated Press reports this morning that Russia will make the proposal today as one of 34 nations who are signatories to the Open Skies Treaty. Under the proposal, Russia wants to use high-powered digital cameras or sensors to gather information. Now, this <laughs> treaty is designed to foster greater transparency, and the collected data is supposed to be shared among all members. You're going to post that online? I'd like to maybe like... <laughs> now they're going to put up on Google. Put that up on Google Maps and let me just look around, maybe on Google Earth. That'd be cool. But experts say Russia is selecting implementing the treaty and imposing restrictions to block surveillance over Moscow and other regions. And more significantly, the flights can collect on Defense Department sites here in the U.S. as well as critical infrastructure. Uh -huh. During the annual Global Threats hearings, the nation's intelligence chief testified that the threat from spy operations, whether it's a foreign government or a proxy acting on their behalf, is persistent, complex, and evolving. Russia and China pose the greatest threat followed by Iran and Cuba on a lesser scale. As well, the threat from insiders taking advantage of their access to collect and remove sensitive national security information will remain a persistent challenge for us. This request to conduct surveillance flights over the U.S. puts the Obama administration really on the spot because it comes at a time that Russia is spreading its influence in the Middle East <laughs> and now is ostensibly a partner with the U.S. against ISIS on the ground, John. Super awkward. Catherine Herridge in Washington. Thank you. So I, I want to just cover something because uh, speaking of Russia, uh, we like to from time to time play clips from RT. Yeah. And I think it's fun to watch RT keeping in mind what their bias is. Obviously, their bias is the perspective of the Russian government. Of course. And so with that lens, let's watch this next clip. Iraqi officials are searching for what they've described as highly dangerous radioactive materials that apparently went missing last year, according to a leaked report. I spoke about this a little earlier with RT's Emily Sue. This is a, like a breaking story, but it's actually old news in the sense that this did happen a while ago. 
Actually, the material was stolen back in November, but the report confirming this was only leaked today. So what we know is Iraq is in fact searching for highly dangerous radioactive material, <laughs> particularly this one called IR-192. IR-192. Go ahead and Google away. Go ahead. We'll still be here. <laughs> now, why is this worrying? Although we don't know who stole this material, but in the report, the officials did say they are very worried that ISIL stole this material. Oh, there it is. There it is. It took them a whole 40 oh. seconds to get there. So this is essentially a first uh, admission at a serious level that ISIL could have their hands on dangerous radioactive material. Now, I must stress that first, we don't know if ISIL have it. Uh, yeah. So why is this report going on? ISIL may be having, uh, what did she say? May, ISIL may be have it, I think is what she said. Uh, yeah, maybe ISIL, maybe ISIL may be have it, Chase. I don't know. Oh, gosh. I, I, but I found this. Maybe yes, not they do. <laughs> yeah. And you notice she, dra- she dropped like radioactive, radioactive and radioactive, radioactive, and, yeah, maybe not. Yes, head, maybe so they do. I got like, maybe there was, I thought maybe there was right. a message that, uh, that RT wanted us to uh, pick up. Speaking of messages, boy, I think Jeb Bush took a message. And we begin oh. with the campaign for the presidency. <laughs> the race looking different for both parties tonight. Donald Trump victorious in the South Carolina primary. His whole family there to celebrate with him. That win by double digits. But the fight for second place came down to just over a thousand votes. Senator Marco Rubio edging out Senator Ted Cruz. Also tonight, any hope of another Bush presidency now over Jeb bowing out. Can you believe it? Oh, Jeb. No, say it ain't so. Okay, be honest with me. Jeb exclamation mark. Come on, be honest with me. You thought it was going to be either Kucinich or uh, Carson next, right? Yeah, I didn't think. I thought Bush was going to hang in there because he had the money. I, well, it turns out, actually, that like his super PACs, w- everywhere he lost, he was the number one spender. Uh, you know, he brought out mom. He brought out brother. Here's what really. Here's what I thought was going to happen, and and now I'm now this is bringing all my red book predictions into question because I've always thought from the very beginning that I didn't. I, I thought I thought by Super Tuesday Trump was going to be out of the game. I don't know if that's likely anymore. Uh, that historically has never happened. So we'll see. But that aside, I thought what was going to happen is I thought after Super Tuesday, yeah. everything was going to start lining up for Bush. Because what I thought would happen was... Remember, he temporarily suspended his campaign. Is that see. what he said? No, Tempor- that's what they all say. Because here's, 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 here's what I thought would happen. Now, this is, I thought... I just thought, no, but there's no way it's going to be, it's going to go anywhere but Bush because he's got all the money. Right. And he's going to have all the money. He can ride the, he can ride the storm and then he can jump after everybody else has sort of picked each other off. Right. And he was one of the first to fold. I figured out why. I, I, I'll tell you why after the rest of this clip. But I tell you, Chase, I did not call Bush pulling out this soon. And now I totally understand why he did it. But uh, I was like, I was shocked when this happened. Uh, it's so obvious why. But. Trump, not only this, remember this clip is pre-Nevada. Right. ABC's Jonathan Carl in Washington tonight. We had such an amazing victory yesterday. Incredible. Donald Trump is now unmistakably on top. Tall people, short people, fat people, skinny people. Just one. (laughs) He was on such a high last night after winning in South Carolina, he briefly turned over the mic to his camera-shy wife, Melania. He would be the best president. 
and oh, his wow. very she pregnant says. daughter, Ivanka. The momentum since the beginning of this campaign has been unbelievable. Trump's South Carolina victory was a clean sweep, scoring all 50 of the state's delegates. He even came out on top with evangelical voters. You know, I didn't know I was going to win by that much. Uh, and we won by a lot. That was sort of record. I love how he stuff. talks. With Jeb Bush so calling it quits, the battle to become the Trump alternative pits the two Cuban-American freshman senators against each other. This is the interesting <sighs> piece. This is why Bush fell out. Bush had to fall out because they're doing the math, they being the Republican Party, uh, and they're realizing that they need to get support behind Rubio now. And so they need to take Bush's numbers. They're going to have to take uh, uh, everybody's Remember, numbers. Remember, you know, it's, it's going to come down to Rubio and Cruz. Bush won with thirty-three percent. You know that means you know you know sixty-seven percent didn't vote for him. magic number. Donald Trump looking for win number three in a row tonight in Nevada, <laughs> and a lot of pundits who once said he would never win are now eating their words. <laughs> Check out a couple of these clips. These are great. I was just as sure as a lot of people that Donald Trump would stagger out of that debate and possibly finish in second place. He was often regarded, myself included, as a candidate who was going to be sort of a novelty candidate, not somebody who was going to win. Huge credit to Donald Trump. The stupid pundits, which I guess I am one. Um, we didn't stupid. see this. We didn't understand that he was such strong medicine. There's still a lot of discussion among Republicans who say, I still can't believe he's going to be the nominee. So Howard Kurtz, Fox News. Let's stop right there. I just wanted to play that uh, because I think they really have miscalled it the entire way. Uh, you've given him more credibility than I think I have. Oh? Yeah. What I think do you mean? You, I think, you think so? I think, I, I think I've been writing him off more and more. Uh, and what I didn't, and what is, what is great, is that people just want somebody who doesn't sound like a politician and calls people an idiot when they're an idiot, which is just super funny. Uh, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum of that, and this is why I think Cruz is struggling so badly, is because people can tell, I think he kind of comes across a little slimy. And I want to play- Well, I, I've already felt that already. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Did you hear that he fired his- uh, Yeah, be, because of, a, of a, fal- a false ad against Rubio. Yeah, that's what he says, yeah. huh? Right, that's what he says. Breaking news right now, Ted Cruz just telling reporters that he has asked for the resignation of his communications director, Rick Tyler, after he tweeted out a false story about Marco Rubio insulting the Bible. Uh, Tyler had apparently apologized to Rubio this morning. I want to take a listen to what Cruz had to say. Here's what I think. I think Cruz, after Iowa, had some great momentum. And he soundly lost that momentum. And one of the things that stole the momentum right out from underneath his feet was that slimy move he did against Carson, where they made the calls and say, Carson's pulling out, move over to Cruz, right? And they cited the CNN report, which yeah, they exaggerated yeah. about. Yeah. That, that capped the Cruz momentum at the knees. <clears throat> and since then, it's been going towards Rubio again. And the problem was that killed credibility. That guy... That was probably brought on, but that was probably done by the communications director, yeah. right? Cruz's campaign has been suffering since then. This tweet and this stab at Rubio's uh, religion was an excuse to get rid of a guy, to eject him from the campaign when it's not working, without it being a spotlight on the fact that his campaign is flopping right now. So he's able to get rid of this guy without it looking like we're, ha- we're struggling, we're having issues, and we need to replace him. Right. Uh, and... What I find to be particularly disgusting about it is if I'm right, then he's using religion as a way to manipulate people's emotions about the situation uh, to lie to well, us, well, which is really disgusting. Yeah. Staffer deleted the tweet, apologized, and pulled it down 
Although I've spent this morning investigating what happened. And this morning, I asked for Rick Tyler's resignation. I had made clear in this campaign that we will conduct this campaign with the very highest standards of integrity. That has been how we've conducted it from day one. It is why when other campaigns attack us personally, impugn my integrity or my character, I don't respond in kind. None of you have heard me throw the kind of insults at Marco Rubio that he throws at me every single day. <laughs> if other candidates choose to go into the gutter, we will not do the same. Rick Tyler's a good man. This was a, a grave error of judgment. So this is his easy out. He can take a few pot shots at people. Doesn't look like his campaign's struggling. And he's saying it's because he questions somebody's religion. Now, Donald Trump is really very quickly becoming uh, the undisputed front runner. And so between now and the next few weeks, there's going to be some serious attacks, like some everybody coming together kumbaya At least attacks. one conservative political action committee says it's time to end Donald Trump's race to the White House. I want to make something clear. It's not Bernie Sanders attacking uh, Trump. It is not Hill Dog attacking Trump. Right. It is people within the conservative party. His own, his own group, yeah. Conservatives are spending their own money now to take Trump down. They're doing the work for Hillary. And and, and, and just fathom a Hillary versus Rubio debate. He's going to look like a little boy up against Hillary. Now imagine a Trump and Hillary debate. Now that- Hillary loses. That's a debate. But Buying $1 million worth of ad time, That's bashing good. the Republican frontrunner in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Which presidential candidate supports higher taxes, national health care, and the Wall Street bailout? And they got, they, got, they got the dog and they got the burn <laughs> up on the screen, right? So people are already thinking, oh, it's yeah, easy. It's yeah, going to be... Yeah. yeah. It's Donald Trump. <laughs> Oh, it's so obvious. It's great. I love it so much. Uh, now, there, you want to know a really interesting. You know, you know how we've been watching the media, and you can tell the media hasn't really been taking Trump seriously, right? Uh, and that's really, really begun to change. And I, I, I wondered if this would start to happen because if it does, then they start considering him to be, you know, worth courting, you know. And and I have a little uh, something I actually found. I swear, I never go on Facebook. But there's a little something I found on Facebook, uh, and uh, I, I maybe I'll just link to it. I don't know, because I don't know if we... This thing is... Oh, no, it's loading. This is Joe Scarborough, your buddy. My good Here friend. Oh, no, this is the whole show, I guess. Anyways, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's, an, it's a hot mic between Joe Scarborough and Mika at talking to Donald Trump. I guess we don't really need to play it in the show, but they're really talking about how it's turned around and people are not taking him seriously. Right, and and yeah. Joe starts talking about people who matter. Yeah. And quote unquote. It's really, it's a fascinating conversation. And I will have a link in the show notes. I just don't want to play somebody else's show on the show if, if it's already out there. Right. So before we wrap up, I have been devastated this week. Not really like in the sense that people that are suffering from the storms on the East Coast are actually devastated, but in my own way, in my own emotional way. So Rekai was supposed to be landing tonight. Oh, okay. My master plan was, all right, I'll edit episode 177 of the Unfiltered Show. And then Rekai lands at midnight. He's a night owl, right? He, right. he doesn't even like eat dinner until midnight. Yeah. So he could edit together BSD Now. Wow. Which is in the queue right now. Okay. And then he can edit TechSnap tomorrow for me. Because, oh, man, those are a couple of big shows. They take a lot of work. They're long. Then, then this happened. What is coming next? Eric Fisher is the chief meteorologist at our CBS Boston oh. station, WBZ. Eric. 
Eric Fisher. So my namesake, you already know right there. Oh boy, this is a not, sign. Not Bill, right? No, this is a sign. No, no. <laughs> Eric. Well, Scott, a very destructive couple of days. You look at the tornado reports over the last 24 hours from the Gulf Coast and today, adding those additional reports now into places around Virginia, where you've seen several touchdown, a lot of damage out there, several fatalities, unfortunately, and tornado watches, something you don't see very much in February, extending all the way up into southeastern Pennsylvania and southern New Jersey tonight. So we'll track an aggressive line of thunderstorms moving their way north and east very quickly, reaching all the way up into New York and, in fact, all the way up into the warmer air, those warmer temperatures is getting into southern New England and early tomorrow morning could even see a couple of severe thunderstorms there as well. So here is the line moving through D.C., moving through New York just before midnight tonight and then into the Boston area right during the early morning commute before moving offshore and the snow slowly winding down on the cold side of all of this. And so, Scott, even as the rain, the snow tapers off a lot of wind across the Midwest and the Northeast tomorrow. And that, too, could lead to some flight delays across the area. Eric Fisher, WBZ. <laughs> the flight keyword. delays. Flight delays. That's my long way of saying, Rikai's flight has been delayed. So, so does this lead to your show announcement thing, or is this something? Is that no? Different? That's something else you don't uh, talk about. Uh, no, oh, I, I don't okay. know what I'm going to do. I mean, I because I got shows to do. Right. It's, just, yeah. it's an insane, insane thing. So that is wow. Talk about you know sometimes Chase life just drops a doozy in your yes, lap, buddy. A stinky doozy. So uh, our thoughts are out. With everybody in the East Coast, yeah, on the man. East Coast, it listens to the show. Stay that's having safe, storm. stay warm. Yeah. I don't mean to, uh, you know, yeah, to detract from what you're going through, because that does sound awful. Yeah. But man, that's rough for me. Well, it's rough for me, Chase. If you're being affected by the storm, or you want to hear about the latest stories in the world of politics and just news that you really shouldn't be listening and reading, head over to our <laughs> subreddit page, unfilter.reddit.com. Yeah, I had buddy. a thought this week. Yeah. So we do talk about the Patreon. That's the primary way to support the show. Keep yeah, us going. Yeah. But that subreddit. Oh, it's 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 booming. If you got a knack uh, for that kind of stuff and you want to work on that subreddit, either get involved in it some way or just help curate some of the best stuff in there. If that starts to take off on its own, that will become a good, quote unquote, ad for the show. Quote unquote. People yeah. will start finding People that find on Reddit yeah, and then they'll totes. discover the show. So you could actually make the show maybe reach more people. By contributing to that subreddit, unfiltered.reddit.com. Don't forget, you can also contact us. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. March 1st, Super Tuesday. That's the next big mover and shaker day, as you heard in the clips today. We're going to do a live special. We'd Boom. love to have you join us live. We're going to do these from time to time. It won't let, we won't let the show get carried away with it, but every now and then it's fun for us, just if nothing else, to let it us stretch our legs. It only happens once every four years, and, guys. You know, it also gives us the, a chance to practice for the big day. Oh, that big day is going to be a huge day. We want to nail that, because that's a historic moment for the show. So, yeah. uh, March 1st, Super Tuesday, this is where we're actually going to have some of the contenders shake out and see who's really going to go long term. Yes. And so we're going to cover that live. We'd love to have you join us, see our meta coverage of Super Tuesday. Find out more at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for your time. Boom! At Nunes on Twitter, at Chris LAS. You're right. Don't forget, at Jupiter Signal. Boom! Thanks for joining us this week, everybody. We'd love to hear from you and stick around. We have a special overtime for everybody this week. See you next week! Yeah! We gotta start up the supporter show. It is overtime. Watch out.
time for episode 177 of the Unfilter Show. So I, I've been vamping on the live stream for a little bit, but it's time to actually get into some of the clips I've collected. And I thought we should start with the topic that probably should have gotten covered in the main show, but I wanted to keep the show moving pretty good today, and so we didn't make it in. But it's obviously a big story, and that is replacing Justice Scalia. And maybe what's become the bigger story is the story around it, which is the battle between Obama and the Senate... And, uh, of course, in the last couple days, there's been a back and forth, starting with, of course, as you might expect, some pushback. One day after top Senate Republicans decidedly dug in their heels, saying they will not even hold hearings, won't even meet with the president's nominee. This decision ought to be made by the next uh, president. The president launched into a nearly 10-minute impromptu speech on why this should happen. I think it will be very difficult for... Mr. McConnell, to explain how, if the public concludes that this person is very well qualified, uh, that uh, the Senate should stand in the way simply for political reasons. But while only days ago, the president expressed deep frustration. We've almost gotten accustomed to how obstructionist the Senate's become when it comes to nominations. Today, a strikingly different tone. I understand the posture that they're taking right now. I'm sure they're under enormous pressure. I'm sympathetic. I recognize the politics are hard for them. Republicans have made much of the president himself joining a filibuster against now Justice Samuel Alito in 2006, something the White House says he now regrets. President Obama today also posted on SCOTUS blog, optimistically adding, as senators prepare to fulfill their constitutional responsibility to Consider the person I appoint. I hope they'll move quickly. Now comes word that one of those potential nominees currently being vetted in that big black binder is Republican Nevada governor and former federal judge Brian Sandoval, says top Senate Democrat Harry Reid. I know if he were picked, I would support the man. So one thing I find interesting is uh, two things. Uh, The Supreme Court is supposed to be outside the other political branches of the government. So if they don't pull this out, they are essentially saying that the Supreme Court is a political body. I think that's problem number one. I think problem number two for them is if they don't get someone in there before Barry is out, I think they're locking in a Hillary election. I think if they don't If they obstruct all the way through the rest of Obama's term, it's going to galvanize the lazy left. Those who are apathetic about Hillary getting in there. They won't go to the polls for Hillary. They'll go to the polls to lock in that Supreme Court nomination because that's going to be pitched as the big next long-term thing. Whatever president goes in there is going to set this in stone for the next 20 years. That's the line, right? That's what Ted Cruz has been saying, right? Is it's going to be, this is a huge decision. Well, that's going to galvanize the lazy left to get in there and help make that decision. So 
you saw they were using an old clip of Obama uh, to sort of justify, look, Obama himself did it. Well, they also did it with Biden. The Senate returned yesterday for the first time since Justin Scalia's death created a vacancy on the court. And Republicans, by and large, are taking a hard line. The number two Senate Republican, John Cornyn, told me yesterday, no, there should not be any hearings. But yes, two moderate Republican senators believe that there should be at least some consideration. Mark Kirk of Illinois said there should be at least a hearing and a vote. And Susan Collins of Maine told me yesterday that a hearing would help her assess a nominee's qualifications. For my part, it's clear that the president can send up a nominee regardless of where he is before he leaves office. I believe that we should follow the regular order in this process and give careful consideration to any nominee that the president may send to the Senate. Now, at the same time, Republicans unearthed a 1992 clip of the Democratic Senate Judiciary Committee chairman saying that the Senate should not move forward on any prospective Supreme Court nominee coming from George H.W. Bush. That Democrat, Joe Biden. Uh-oh. President Bush should consider following the practice of a majority of his predecessors and not, and not name a nominee until after the November election is completed. Now, right after that, Democrats really went onto overdrive to clean up those remarks. Biden said that the remarks were taken out of context and actually put out a tweet, which I'll read to you. It said, in 1992, I urged the Senate and White House to work together to ensure the court functioned as our founders intended remains my position, all of which, Allison, really shows that this fight is only just beginning on Capitol Hill. Just to totally took my exact words out of context, guys. Come on. So I'm kind of dialing back a little bit on the 2016 stuff in the main show while it's just kind of the in-between mid-season stuff. I want to keep the main show focused on the more historical stuff. However, sometimes in that mid-game stuff, there are certain nuances that set the tone or set a precedent that are actually worth watching. So we continue to monitor them for you. No, necessarily put them in the main show. So I'm going to give you a selection Sort of a smattering, if you will, of some of the clips that we've been monitoring uh, over the last week for the 2016 election. So this will be the uh, overtime section for 2016. We'll do a little bit of this, and then we'll get back into other various news. So let's start with Trump, who I think probably had the biggest week in politics since the last Unfilter show. And uh, a little analysis of uh, how Trump went from uh, stump to contender. Donald Trump is clearly the GOP frontrunner. From the start, most pundits did not believe the businessman and reality star would even get in the race. And when he did, they couldn't believe he'd be able to gain any traction in the race for the White House. But now with victories in New Hampshire and South Carolina and another possible W tonight in Nevada, pundits are definitely taking him seriously. 
Fox News media analyst and host of Fox's Media Buzz, Howard Kurtz, has a look at the evolution of Trump punditry. A number of the pundits said, well, if a couple of the other candidates dropped out, if you add their scores together, it's going to equal Trump. Even in his victory speech in South Carolina, Donald Trump was still annoyed by commentators insisting he could be derailed. But most journalists and pundits who once dismissed him are now finally acknowledging he's the clear favorite to win the GOP nomination. He was often regarded, myself included, as a candidate who was going to be sort of a novelty candidate, not somebody who's going to win. Huge credit to Donald Trump. The stupid pundits, which I guess I am one. No, um, so we stupid. didn't see this. We didn't understand that he was such strong medicine. Of course it's Trump at this point. Trump looks like he could run the table. There's still a lot of discussion among Republicans who say, I still can't believe he's going to be the nominee. Such MSNBC liberals as Chris Matthews and Lawrence O'Donnell can't believe it either. And they're pushing scenarios for how the billionaire could lose. If this goes one-on-one, -on -one, Trump against Rubio or Trump against Cruz, each one of them beats Trump by 16 points in a one-on-one -on -one race. But there's never going to be a one-on-one -on -one. And you sound like a Democrat at the salad bar of rationalization. But there are also angry voices refusing to accept Trump's success, and some outlets are blaming the voters. New York's Daily News, Confederacy of Dunces, complaining about South Carolina's, quote, piggish voters gobbling up Trump's slop. The Huffington Post, New Hampshire goes racist, sexist, xenophobic. There is other finger pointing as well. On the liberal side, Slate blames the media's sick, interminable honeymoon with Trump. While Salon says he appeals to a party mostly of old and angry white people. Among conservatives, National Review says Trump and Bernie Sanders emerge from the wreckage of a broken culture. The new media consensus heading into tonight's Nevada caucuses is sort of a market correction for all the early discounting of Trump's staying power. But he also runs against the media and thrives on slamming his detractors on the left and the right. Brett? Howie, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Howie. <laughs> all right, so let's keep going on the 2016 stuff. While we're talking about uh, Trump, I'll get a couple more Trump things out of the way, and then we'll move on from Trump. I like it when he takes a few pot shots at Ted Cruz. That's always fun to watch. We have a big lead, and we don't want to blow it. Donald Trump looking to extend his winning streak. South Carolina, absolutely perfect. And hopefully by tonight, we'll all be together. We'll say this one was absolutely perfect. Eyeing a third win in a row to cement his frontrunner status. These other guys, they're all gone. You know what? They made their little speech this morning and they ran away. <laughs> and you shouldn't be voting for people. The brash billionaire not holding back in the final hours of campaigning in the Silver State, ratcheting up his rhetoric at a protester Monday night. He's walking out like big high fives, smiling, laughing, like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. Trump also laying into rival Ted Cruz. This guy is sick. There's something wrong with this guy. Cruz returning fire today, accusing Trump of lacking core principles. I frankly don't care what position Donald decides to support today or tomorrow or the next day. They change every day. I don't care what they are. But pick one and defend it. Cruz is also in a bruising battle for second with Marco Rubio as the two freshman senators fight for the mantle of Trump alternative in the Republican race. 
Rubio today making the case that he's the candidate conservatives can coalesce behind. We cannot nominate someone who cannot win because they cannot, cannot not, unite us. Cannot the not. Florida senator is leaving Nevada before the start of the caucuses, looking ahead to March contests, with stops tonight in Minnesota and Michigan. I'm not waiting in line because there is no line for president and we don't, we're running out of time. This is no time for patience. People have now realized, look, all right, he wasn't our first choice, but now he's our best choice. <laughs> that's a... Whew. Let me tell you, that's not a good sales tactic. Let me just put it that way. So... You heard that I'd like to punch him in the face comment? I got a little expanded clip of that, uh, of that moment. So we're going to take our jobs back from China and all of these other countries. I have a friend. He's a great a, contractor. A great contractor. And he's a great merchandiser. Great. And he cannot get his product into China. No matter what he does, Here he comes can. the protesters. They send their product. Oh, bye-bye. Good job, fella. Bye-bye. Look, see, he's smiling. See, he's having a good time. Oh, I love the old days, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. You know what I hate? What's that? There's a guy totally disruptive, uh -huh. throwing punches. Oh, punches. We're not allowed to punch back I thought anymore. he was smiling. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? What? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, Donald. Whoa. That's uh, true. Really? Are you sure? You know, I love our police, and I really respect our police. Do you? They're not getting enough. They're not. Oh, but okay. Honestly, I hate to see that. Here's a guy throwing punches, nasty as hell, screaming at everything else when we're talking. Throwing punches, huh? And he's walking out, and we're not allowed. You know, the guards are very gentle with him. He's walking out like big high fives, smiling, laughing. like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. Listen to this guy. Listen to this guy. He's upset about something, isn't he? Hi, everybody. My name is Mike. This is my YouTube page, Mox News. There's a guy that runs Mox News. Uh, that was kind of interesting. And uh, you should check out Mox News. It's a good channel. I think the uh, whole Donald Trump phenomenon is coming to uh, a new, new holy war, if you will. But not a holy war of words, a holy war with the Pope. Fox team coverage this morning. Alicia Kuna is live in Las Vegas, Nevada. But we begin with Doug McElway live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and the feud between the leader of the Catholic Church and the leading candidate for the Republican Party. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Doug. Morning, Abby. Morning, Heather. Morning, this Abby. The latest Trump controversy morning, is raising a lot of speculation about what kind of effect it may have on the South Carolina primary less than 24 hours away now. Keep in mind that only about 10% of South Carolinians are Catholic. And there are some who speculate this controversy may actually help Trump because it actually refocuses attention on what is arguably one of the most important issues or the most important issue of his entire campaign season. That is building the wall along the Mexican border. Here is the Pope's comment that sparked the conflagration. What? A person who thinks only about building walls, wherever they may be, and not of building bridges, is not Christian. This is not the gospel. Now watch as you see Donald Trump's initial reaction to this. He did something very uncharacteristic. He read from a written script, perhaps suggesting that this is something he had to wade through very, very carefully. 
No leader, especially a religious leader, should have the right to question another man's religion or faith. Especially when they feed all sorts of false information. Into- Trump versus Pope says, the Pope, says the lower third. It is interesting to see him reading. Uh, this is actually kind of a rare thing for him. They're using the Pope as a pawn, and they should be ashamed of themselves. That's the Mexican government. They should be ashamed of themselves for doing so, especially when so many lives are involved and when illegal immigration is so rampant. For Trump's rivals, all struggling to gain some traction again. We'll pause it there, although I do kind of think he did a good job. He sort of pivoted from uh, the Pope thing to, well, immigration. And uh, that was a tricky, tricky thing for him to navigate. All right, so let's stop talking about Trump and let's move on. What do you say? This is an area that's actually making Hillary squirm, those Wall Street speeches. The CNN countdown clock, Senator. Now, I'm not here to come after you about that. You can use it if you want. But just as of yesterday, you said it's been 17 days, 16 hours, and 32 minutes since Hillary Clinton said she would look into releasing her paid speeches to Wall Street. Now, Clinton says she will do that when other candidates release their transcripts of paid speeches. I know that you're saying, I don't talk to the banks, I don't have any, but you've done speeches that were paid before. Why don't you go first, say, here are my transcripts, if I could, uh, if Secretary Clinton... That's not a problem. And if, look, I have had not had a paid speech. It's against the law to give paid speeches. I have given some speeches. The money was donated to charity way, way back. I got a few dollars. If I can find the transcripts, I'm very, very happy to do it. But what Secretary Clinton said, I will do it if other people do it. Well, I am very happy to release all of my paid speeches to Wall Street. Here it is, Chris. There ain't none. (laughs) I don't do that. He's good. I don't get. He's got her here, doesn't he? I don't get speakers' fees from Goldman Sachs. It's not there. So I'm happy to do my best in releasing any of the speeches. Won't be very shocking to anybody. He's got her. And he doesn't have to go after her character. He doesn't have to go after... Well, I guess it kind of goes after her character. Okay, so while we're talking about Hill Dog, I got a clip that kind of explains the whole superdelegates thing again. And it's just so... It's so in-your-face unbelievable. Essentially, Bernie's got no shot unless these superdelegates come over. And look at these people. I, I mean, I don't know. They interview, like, the weirdest superdelegates I've ever seen. But this clip goes into some detail. Last night was an astounding victory for Donald Trump. And this Saturday, right here in South Carolina, is going to be exciting for the Democrats. Looming over all of that, though, one of the busiest days in all of American politics, Super Tuesday. That is just six days away. 595 delegates up for grabs. That's on the Republican side. For the Democrats, it's 878, a massive haul. The outcome could really define this race. Now, before all that, 
today. The fight for South Carolina's superdelegates is definitely on. If you look at the voting in the first three states, the pledged delegate count is a virtual tie, 52-51. That's our NBC News count. But as a separate matter, if you were to add in these unpledged or so-called superdelegates, which are tallied up later eventually at the convention, Clinton's lead jumps up to basically 502 to oh. 70. That's according to a New York Times estimation. Uh -huh. And those superdelegates, uh -huh. we should tell you, they make 15% of all the delegates who vote at the convention. So the nation chooses. These superdelegates can technically vote however they want. That's been controversial. Now, how would they vote? Well, I sat down right here with four South Carolina superdelegates and pressed them on why they should have this extra power. This is weird and awkward. Here we go. I'll just play you a little bit. You are here, though, also as superdelegates. You have this extra power under the Democratic Party rules. Uh, well, uh... No extra. Extra? It's not extra. Go ahead. We don't have any capes. Say Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders comes in with a with enough to win, superdelegates shouldn't be able to decide right. that. But, but they do, and they can. They but currently comes, have that power. But they do. You have they, that power. They do. But superdelegate himself acknowledges we do, i.e. we have the power to choose whichever candidate we want, regardless of how many people vote for Sanders. There, maybe there should so be some you checks. Yes, would you pledge? Maybe there should be some checks. You know, maybe there should be some checks and balances. Is what he's about to say. Maybe pledge not. Would you pledge not to override a the raw will majority? of the people? Yes. Do you think that should be the rule? But now the rest of them are. Yeah. And so this guy's. Yeah, that's a rule. Shit. The will of the people. I'll make that a rule. The other one's like, oh, would you? Could you? Um. I think the will of the people are going to be Hillary Clinton, who I'm pledged to now anyway. <laughs> oh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Is he pledged to? Okay. The rule. But I think the will of the people are going to be Hillary Clinton, who I'm pledged to now anyway. <laughs> but do so you think that should be the rule? I don't think there. I would not have a problem with that rule. Not not at all. Would you have a problem with that rule? I don't know what rule you mean exactly. I mean, I'll tell. Well, then okay, I'll tell, tell you. Tell me exactly. <laughs> that would be you described a brokered convention scenario. Mm -hmm. Under the current rules, though, mm -hmm. technically the superdelegates could override a raw majority of the democratically selected delegates. I don't see how 15 percent can override the majority, though. I mean, I'm no math whiz. I wouldn't have gone to law school if I was good at math. <laughs> but it's only 15 percent. If the rest of the delegates are not supporting, so you're talking, talking, talking 5149. Of course. They've all backed Hillary, and when you add the numbers up, like they said uh, beginning in this clip, uh, today, the fight for South Carolina's superdelegates is definitely on. If you look at the voting in the first three states. So she's like, well, I don't see how 15% can make a difference. The pledged delegate count is a virtual tie. And unpledged delegates are superdelegates. 52-51, that's our NBC News count. But as a separate matter, if you were to add in these unpledged or so-called superdelegates, uh -huh, how much? tallied up later eventually right. at the convention, uh -huh. Clinton's lead jumps up to basically 502 oh. to 70. That's oh, you know, maybe you should do that math, lady. Liar. cheese. I think she's scheming that out of that one. Okay, so that's our Hill Dog update. We've got more Hill Dog in the main show. When Jeb Bush announced that he was getting out of the race, reaction varied in the live coverage, right? Reaction varied. But you know which reaction was going to be greatest, right? Of course, Fox News is going to have a special reaction. CNN's going to have a lukewarm reaction. You know who's going to have the best reaction in terms of entertainment value? And I got to say, 
I agree with this analysis. Freaking Rachel Meadow. Freaking Rachel Meadow. I never play Rachel Meadow on the show. But she's got a point here. Millions freaking spent on the Jeb Bush campaign for, like, nothing accomplished. Like... Mission totally unaccomplished. Uh, you know, there has been no poll since early November which showed anybody leading in South Carolina other than Donald Trump. Yep. So it should not feel like a surprise. It should not feel like news that Donald Trump actually won in South Carolina. Uh, but still, there is. it will never not be surprising uh, to look up to that podium and see Donald Trump declaring victory. Um, all the more so tonight to have when we have we have Jeb Bush um, leaving the race. I would just like to make one note on on that money point, which which Chuck was just making. It will be very interesting to see what is what will happen to the trail of money that has followed Jeb Bush into this race. Obviously, the way that Jeb Bush became the establishment candidate here was not just by being born Jeb Bush. It was because he raised a hundred million dollars in the blink of an eye to start off the race. That was because he was born a Bush. He raised exactly. He just tapped all those own donor donor networks. He stacked up a hundred million dollars. It was the forgive me, the shock and awe strategy Mm -hmm. that his brother used in 2000 to scare everybody else out of the race. And I think the tragedy of the the sort of political, uh, the, the, the tragedy of the way the Jeb Bush campaign fell apart is the way they spent themselves into oblivion. Because if you're Jeb Bush and this race is going to have Donald Trump as the nominee or maybe Ted Cruz as the nominee or maybe untested Marco Rubio as the nominee, obviously that's such a fragile state that you want to still be there when that starts to come into focus so that you are still another option. And with $100 million to sit on, he should have been able to stay out till the very end. But instead, who was the number one spender in Iowa? Jeb Bush. Who was the number one spender in New Hampshire? Jeb Bush. Who was the number one spender in South Carolina? Jeb Bush. When he's coming in, you know, fourth and sixth places in all of these in all of these states spending two thousand dollars per vote in many cases he should have been able with that much money to stay on until the very end when there was a candidate that the republican establishment really was a little rattled by as their standard bearer but because this is what i was expecting jeb's strategy was all along i'm not joking is i expected him to use all of that money he raised to stay in the campaign while rubio was ruled out and everybody got sick of trump and uh you know, Cruz is just too creepy. I just thought eventually they'd all eventually fall to Bush. And I, I, I thought he'd write it out. Very end when there was a candidate that the Republican establishment really was a little rattled by well, as their standard bearer. But because of the way they spent money, they blew it. He's had to get out now. He really has been running on fumes. They've got basically zero hard dollars left and almost all of the super PAC money is gone. That was just absolute political malpractice. And whether or not you like Jeb Bush as a candidate and as a talent, the way that campaign was run is absolutely ridiculous. But it's not about the money. It's about the strategic decision. It's what Lawrence alluded to earlier. To spend money for nothing. It's not about, I mean, they've they've all spent mind-boggling amounts of money. But but, he spent the most. But I think the strategic decision that will be dissected in, you know, as people now begin the process of looking at what went wrong, will be what you alluded to. That Trump successfully branded him. Low energy the sat day, out there he, for two he weeks. He did, as Chuck said. He announced the morning after Jeb. He stepped on him. He rode down that escalator the morning after Jeb Bush announced. And I remember talking to them over the summer. What are you going to do about Trump? And they said, we've got to win our lane. We've got to stay focused on our lane. We mm-hmm. think there's going to be an outsider primary and there's going to be an establishment primary. And he wasn't just 
winning in the money primary because he was a Bush. He was a very popular, very successful, cutting edge on Republican policies at the time. Governor, who is typically someone that we like. Um, so, so the strategic but, decision that we second guess was the decision not to take on Trump when Trump took. But on had him. he ridden along in the polls, bumping along at fives and six and seven and eight percent, doing poorly in all of these states, but he hadn't spent all of his money for nothing to come in fourth and sixth places in these places, he could have just held on until deep into the race if he still had money to spend. And he could have held on through all of this stuff, let people redefine him, let people brand him. Because that stuff was a superficial insult, it would have washed off of him if the race was at a different place. But he can't last to being in a different place because his super PAC and his campaign spent all of his money like it was on fire. Well, he was think, very poorly I served by his campaign. I think the questions will be about, about who they targeted. I mean, those are the questions bubbling but, up. But they spent, and whatever. Party, they spent his, it for nothing. His party needs him out of of the race tonight when he finished at 8%. If he hadn't spent his money, if he was hanging on to his money, and he came in at less than 8% tonight in South Carolina, his party would need him to get out. They're looking at Marco Rubio's 22. They're saying, let's add 8 to that. That's 30. What's Trump? Trump's 33. What about K6-8? Let's add those 8. What's that? That takes him up to 36. You know, the, 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 you, add, you add Kasich and, and Bush to Rubio, and you have a winner. That's right. You also have Marco Rubio as your candidate, though. I'm getting a uh, I'm getting an announcement uh, that I should do a Ben Carson update real quick. I haven't talked about Ben Carson. Um, I do have other things I want to cover in the supporter show, and Mr. Chase is getting close. Chatwin, will you remind me before we start the show to play the Ben Carson clip? I want to come back to it. Uh, I want to get. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about iPhone, a little more about iPhone. Um, Specifically, how about I just play? How about we'll, we'll well, you know what? I think you're gonna enjoy what I have for you. I think you're gonna enjoy this. I'm not gonna even tell you, chat room. <clears throat> you know what we've all been wondering. What would happen if this was a Google phone? Apple still in the spotlight two days after opposing court orders to unlock the iPhone of the San Bernardino shooter, Syed Farouk. Reaction from the tech industry has been muted. With calls for more debate and statements of broad agreement that companies shouldn't be forced to create so-called backdoors in their products, Google CEO Sundar Pichai tweeted, forcing companies to enable hacking could compromise privacy and set a troubling precedent. Facebook-owned WhatsApp CEO Yang Kum also publicly supported Tip Cook, but Facebook the company, Amazon, Microsoft, and Twitter declined to comment. Is Apple's stand putting other tech companies in an uncomfortable situation? Many companies, while publicly allying themselves with Apple, do in fact comply with official requests for information. I put this question to Hiroshi Lockheimer, Google Senior Vice President of Android, asking him what he would have done if the gunman's phone had been an Android instead of an iPhone. Obviously, we, we focus on building really secure products. Uh, but if 
requested or demanded by law uh, agencies, you know, of course, based on uh, proper legal process, we will make information available to them. But I think what we're talking about here is a completely different scenario where we're being, uh, or, or the tech industry, I guess, in this case, Apple, uh, is being asked, it sounds like, they're being asked to help in hacking uh, their product. Uh, I think that's a very different scenario from, from sort of the way things work today. short version, they don't like that part of it. And I don't actually think Apple's argument is going to be the slippery slope. Real quick, Gates says, hey man, I never said that about that oh, thing. There's so much noise about Tim Cook and Apple and the government. Whether it's this Apple situation or broader, has technology moved so quickly that the government simply can't keep pace enough to regulate it in a smart and effective way? Well, it is a challenge to update the policies including those issues of when does the government have a right to know. Uh, having a really good debate about uh, when is that appropriate. And the extreme view that the government always gets everything, nobody supports that. Having the government be blind, people don't support that. So whether it's this particular case or a few others that are in the courts. Were you, were you blindsided a bit? by? I came in this morning and saw headlines saying Bill Gates backs FBI. Wait. Yeah, I was disappointed because that doesn't state my view on this. Uh, I, I do believe that, that with the right safeguards, there are cases where the government, on our behalf, like stopping uh, terrorism, which could get worse in the future, that that, that is valuable. But striking that, that balance, clearly the government's taken information historically and used it in ways that we didn't expect, going all the way back, say, to uh, the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover. So he hedges. Okay. All right. Enough with that. He hedges. Can't blame him. Let's talk about Gitmo. Another story that needed attention in this week's episode. A couple of interesting aspects to play on this. Uh, We're going to play Hayden's sort of rebuke of the uh, of the Git some of the Gitmo anti Gitmo closing narratives. But first, the basics. The president has just walked out, and we are uh, about to go listen to his remarks. Let's just power. go there right now. Our military, Please. intelligence, diplomacy, homeland security, law enforcement, federal, state, and local, as well as the example of our ideals as a country that's committed to universal values, including rule of law and human rights. In this fight, we learn and we work to constantly improve. When we find something that works, we keep on doing it. When it becomes clear that something is not working as intended, when it does not advance our security, we have to change course. This is For many this. years, it's been clear that the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay does not advance our national security. His basic argument right there for closing Gitmo. Okay. So you've heard some of the other, it's illegal, we can't do it, it's impossible. Uh, Andrea Mitchell has a good interview, we have that in Supporter Sync. We are about 14 minutes away now from comments by President Obama. He's scheduled to speak this hour about a plan to close Guantanamo Bay. The administration's plan, long in the works, presented to Congress today. Man, he's got a lot on his plate, doesn't he? We'll see how he does. Uh, so check the uh, supporter sync for more on that, okay? I want to do a, a little cyber story and a little terrorism updates. 
Let's talk about the Libya stuff. I got some turkey stuff, too. Oh, boy. We're running out of time. Mr. Chase is nigh. He's real nigh. Hmm. All right, let's do a little turkey jab. Because this normally would go in the main show, but uh, just didn't have enough time today. All right, here's uh, RT taking a poke at turkey. Now, remember, of course, RT's got a big dog in this hunt. But quotes are quotes, I suppose. And it's interesting because when we're talking about the ceasefire in Syria in the episode, and this is an important detail. Our Washington correspondent, Gianni Chikian, went to the State Department uh, to ask about the ceasefire deal. Uh, Gianni, good to see you this evening. Um, the new agreement obviously concerns the government forces and opposition troops in Syria, uh, but are there other players on the ground who should abide that proposal? Could you tell us more about that? Sure. Secretary Kerry says in the coming days, the U.S., Russia and uh, other uh, others who negotiated the cessation of hostilities will be working to secure commitments from key parties that they will abide by the terms of this agreement. This will, as we understand, include Turkey, which is shelling Syrian Kurds here. We have called out, we have urged Turkey to stop its shelling over the border. But does this agreement apply to that as well? I mean, again, we would like a cessation of hostility is a cessation of all hostilities on the ground. Turkey may very well be a spoiler in this major international effort to stop hostilities in Syria as Ankara continues to shell Syrian Kurds, whom they consider terrorists. The international community, including the U.S., do not consider the Syrian Kurds terrorists. Quite the opposite. They happen to be a major ally in the fight against Daesh on the ground in Syria. Turkish President Erdogan has just said Turkey has the right to carry out operations in Syria against these Kurdish forces. Moreover, Turkey says it expects unconditional support from Washington. Here's a quote uh, from the Turkish prime minister. He said, the only thing we expect from our U.S. ally is to support Turkey with no ifs or buts. So Turkey and the U.S. clearly are not on the same page on this. Despite this, Washington's response to Turkey's actions has so far been quite reserved. Is there anything else that the U.S. does to stop Turkey from shelling Syrian Kurds other than sort of shyly saying, please, Turkey, stop hitting Syrian Kurds? They are our allies. I don't know if we're ever shy uh, with uh, Turkey or with any of our strong partners and allies. And Turkey is a strong partner and NATO ally. And we have very frank... Let me finish. We have very frank exchanges with them about... Uh, the challenges of uh, defeating Daesh of, uh, uh, and certainly of solving uh, the conflict in uh, – resolving, rather, the conflict in Syria. Um, we're not shy. We're not timid in, in expressing uh, our concerns or our priorities or our uh, – Asked to comment – any actions by Turkey, the U.S. State Department always underscores that Turkey is uh, such a great ally and partner. And of course, it's a NATO ally. Maybe the State Department can't say otherwise. But it is not clear exactly what the U.S. will do if Turkey just says, no, we're just going to continue shelling these Kurdish forces in Syria. Okay, Gianni, thanks very much for that. There was an artist Gianchikian live there from Washington. to conduct military operations in Syria. When it comes to fighting threats, Turkey holds the right to conduct any operation it sees necessary in Syria or any soil that breeds terrorism. No one can restrict our right to self-defense. 
not prevent us from exercising it. The Turkish military started to shell Kurdish positions in Syria earlier this month. Erdogan has his own plans in the region and he has his ambitions regarding Syria. He realized that these ambitions vanished due to the involvement of our Russian friends. Therefore, he is in disarray and it seems that he is paralyzed and is making one last attempt to get at least something for himself and his government party. This is his final attempt to take something that he planned to from Syria. Well, this footage allegedly shows mortars being fired at Kurdish positions across the border in Syria. It was not only the Kurds who were targeted. Syrian army units were hit too, according to Damascus. Oh, hey there, buddy. You know, it's like old times. You know, when I worked at the Nielsen ratings, you know, rolling in at like, what, 7, 8, 9 o'clock? I know. Jeez, you know, it's, <laughs> it's been a long one. Uh, yeah. You're lucky I had a carpool buddy today. I would have been late. Oh, yeah, you did make... I noticed once you got on I-5, you made really good time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Here, you know, I know this... You know, it doesn't fit in the purview of our show, so it's probably perfect for the... Are we doing supporter show still? What's the... Uh, so, uh, I know because this week... Sighting uh, is... This week... Uh, oh, my gosh. I'll tell you more in a little bit. Yeah. I'll tell you more in a little bit. But this right. week, what I'm going to think I'm going to do, depending on how long it is, is I think I'm going to clip the uh, uh, so the overtime to the end of the main show. And so, give a little taste to the uh, to the non-supporters what it's like, and uh, that way people can just download one file and then get both. Right. And then I only have to do one edit instead of two edits. Tonight. Oh. Mm-hmm. 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 So, what are you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is, since it doesn't really fit in the purview of our of our normal show um i gotta say that the city of seattle is really bass backwards when it comes to transportation management i agree i was complaining about that earlier um you know the the thing with seattle is i understand they want people to take mass transit and and they want people yes to, very very much so right but the problem is you can't force people to do it when the mass transit system on its own sucks ass yeah, or your job is like you have to go to thirteen clients right. in a day. And you got to do something, right? Yeah. And so what they're doing is, you know, they they're t- they they uh, they they restripe roads to give it to bicyclists. Mm-hmm. And I love the bicycle. Don't get me wrong, but when you yeah, have like yeah, me too, like like on trails and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you have like four percent of your population, four percent of your city population use those oh, lanes. Oh, bikes for commuting, right? Oh, oh, uh, and, yeah, and, yeah, and they and take I know commuter we have some lanes that do that, right? Well, yeah, that's a little, that's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Right, that's and, that, a problem. and that happens a lot in Seattle, um, and then it frustrates me as a driver that are so now they're like you know Westlake Avenue in Seattle, right? Uh, yeah. Right there in front of Amazon South Lake Union, they're taking a lane away from each direction of traffic to dedicate it to bus only. So now their regular cars won't be able to go in those lanes mm. anymore. Uh, but what pisses me off about bicyclists is, you know, they, they talk about, you know, hey, you know, we have the right to use road, and I'm totally with you on that. And then when I'm sitting at a red light. They cut in between the cars, and then they run the red light because traffic's not moving because it's gridlocked, right? But they just go right through the red light. 
No problem. No big deal. Jay says, no good. No. It's no good. I got a clip that might. I got. I saved you got something that'll make me feel better. Yeah, I thought we could play this clip before we start the show. Okay, and I saved it just for you. Thanks, buddy. I thought we'd break it down from a fundamental standpoint. And uh, you know, I, I pulled it from the 2016 bag. Okay, so, so, uh, right. and I thought, so from boy, the best show of the year. This is something that you and I should. Uh, okay. you and I should take a look at here. I believe there are a number of ways to extract information, uh, including, uh, you know, some medical uh, ways what? of. Uh, so Ben Carson, as part of his uh, platform, uh, is uh, taking on the mantle uh, of uh, Torture Works. That's part of his pitch. Oh, boy. And uh, he's got some ideas to improve torture. You know, oh. putting people into a less-than-conscious state. You know, just like... Uh, which allows information to be uh, extracted uh, what much more What do you mean, sir, by humanely. medical... What, what do you mean by medical ways? I mean, you know, that that was really complicated, what he said. It was super medical terminology. <laughs> it's super meta. So if it, no, just, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Not a, I'm not a doctor, Chase. And no, so maybe no. if he could break this down into layman's terms for yeah. us. Could he? Uh, well, the, the average person might understand it as truth serum. Oh, oh, okay. We got to do a little truth serum. Oh, truth serum. Oh, a little truth okay. serum. You know, there, is, there is that something you buy, you, like, at uh, Safeway? <laughs> decrease a person's uh, conscious defenses. Otherwise, don't just tequila. And be much that? more willing to give up information. <laughs> what is that, she says? Excuse me? What, what is that? Uh, sodium amytal. But, uh, you know, there are a variety but, uh, of this... different things that can be used now. We've uh, Just ask Bill Cosby. Oh, oh, too oh. soon? Too soon? Wow. Too soon? Wow. Oh, Mr. Chase, I tell you what. It has been a rough, rough time with, By the, uh, way, with the beard what's out. What's the chat client that you use over there on the on the big screen? Oh, over on that over on that machine or no, on no, that machine? No, no, on that one right over there. That's uh, IRC Cloud? I've never heard of that. Is that good? I mean, I just use it over there cuz I don't feel like logging into it. I just it. like how it looks. It's a web page. What? That's awesome. Yeah, that's a web app, IRC Cloud. And then they have uh, Android and iOS apps as Ooh, well. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, uh, which is pretty cool, which is pretty nice, um, because I'll tell you what, Irk you know what I just, I just realized is yeah. I haven't actually used uh, this VLC age, uh, client Uh-oh. to play back on Filter yet. There's quite Uh-oh. a bit of things I actually have to change. Uh-oh. Yeah, because this is a different computer. This is a thing that I didn't realize. Uh-oh. I know, man. Uh-oh. Do you know where you go to like turn off things like uh, display, like the video title and stuff like I that? Think it's what, that? video and OCD or uh, on-screen display? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Video, enable video. I do want that, yeah, right? Yeah, you want yeah, video. Okay. Do what I want subtitles on-screen display? So yeah, where is that at? Uh, the next tab over. The Boom! Time. You got to chase. Yeah, Turn well, that S off, yeah, right? Yeah, you Pow, You got that. Yeah, Good just, job. Just lay that on there. Yeah. Actually, I forgot to get a quick beverage. Let me grab one. Yeah, man. You go do that, and I'll uh, I'll get a I'll get us fired up and ready to go. So that'll uh, conclude the uh, overtime, right there. If you guys enjoyed it, patreon.com slash unfiltered to support the show. It's time for us to go record the main show. If you're listening to this, I know it's a little backwards. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.